the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 694. As I'm closing the window now, as I'm recording this podcast, and the sirens, the sound of traffic behind me, outside of my window, and the signs of police sirens, ambulances, kids screaming because they've lost their mothers, mothers screaming because they don't know where their kids are, and loads of single dads walking around with warm cans of Stella Artois in one hand and a pack of cigarettes in the other looking for some young fresh meat to go and tackle and I'm not talking about butchers I'm talking about females and I'm not talking about women I'm talking about people under 25 that's how bleak it is out here it's absolutely bleak in my neighborhood I swear to god and I always get reminded of how bleak my neighborhood is whenever I go and visit friends or people that I know who live away from where I live and they usually live in come you know some nicer swankier places because for some reason maybe because of the humble beginnings of where I've kind of grown up from maybe because of my attitude or maybe because of my bank balance who knows I've always tended to skew towards living in the rough parts of town They've always kind of drawn me in. Whenever I go on holiday, especially when I go on my kind of techno tourism trips in Europe, I always kind of look for the downtrodden, for the sketchy, for the rough around the edges. The rougher, the better for me. I love that shit. I kind of bask in it. It's something that kind of comes naturally to me. But I've also got loads of friends who don't like that sort of stuff, who are my age or sometimes younger, which is embarrassing, and they live well. Like they live in houses with like high ceilings, um, crazy nice furniture, great pieces of artwork on the wall, great household appliances. It's just a place where you feel like, wow, this flipping home feels like a nice home. It feels like a home you want to hang out in. Whereas for me, my home has always been a place to dump books, a place to fucking store all my expensive clothes, a place to flipping get on it before a club night and a place to sleep right and to sometimes smash that's it there's nothing else that my house usually kind of functions at so it's nice when you go to other people's homes they live in nicer areas they've got swankier shops around there the people walking around the street look like they you know may have taken a shower that week um they look like you know they might be able to put together or you know to string a coherent sentence together or something all those things kind of help so i'm always reminded of just how flipping abject and you know just how much abject poverty I live around whenever I go and visit my friends who don't live in the area that I live in. It's a very, very stark reminder and something that I've slowly but surely started to flip in, um, come around to understanding, you know, what I kind of like and what I don't like, but it kind of is what it is. So what can you do? But anyway, regardless of all that stuff, big up everybody tuning in live. I appreciate all of you that are 
tuning in live to this announcement and to the stream if you're watching this after the fact or listening to this after the fact then please make sure that you do like the stream you share it you give me a little review on flipping google that would be really flipping appreciated i really would like to see that but if you don't and just like to enjoy it and hear me waffle on about the stuff i waffle off about then please make sure that you do that also but regardless of that um what's been going on with me oh actually what's been going on I've been on this thing, right, where I've been slowly but surely started to get around to the idea, right, of not basically going to the airport and eating. Strange thing to say, because in London, specifically where I live in London, there's this new line now called the Elizabeth line, which is flipping amazing because it's basically allows to take, it basically takes you from one part of East London or maybe one part of like North London, even so depending on where you live, but in the depths of London all the way until like Heathrow or something. So you can basically take one train all the way to the airport. And if you know about any, you know, most i think cities are made like this but any type of urban planning usually the airports are a little bit difficult to get to some cities have an airport where you can just get there via public transport berlin being one madrid being another one but in london to get to airports usually you always had to kind of get either a really long train or get a bus or a specific sort of like train that takes you to a station like a Stansted express or something so when this elizabeth line came around it kind of just opened up the you know possibilities to go to other airports and the good thing about that is because in london we have three airports we have Stansted, gatwick and heathrow and maybe also a city you could include it but i'll count those three main ones i mentioned first as the mains um, basically you can do a little bit of a price hunting and find some deals for yourself to go to places in Europe so if you don't want to go to a particular so some airports maybe the price to go to a certain location may differ based on the location because of how where they are you know across London outside London bloody blah, blah 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 but for the longest time I feel like because it's so hard to get to these airports usually what I would do which is really really bad because I think I, I don't fly well is that if I had planned like a long weekend away to let's say a place like Berlin, I'd usually get the early morning flight on a Friday, which would then mean most likely I wouldn't sleep on a Friday because I'd be so anxious about going and not missing my flight because that's something I've always got a flipping fear of, even though I've only ever missed one flight in my whole life and that wasn't even my fault. That was like 60% my fault, I'd say, because uh, at the time when I was going to Barcelona, I think I was actually going to go there to do like a half marathon or something, unfortunately. Um, the coach I was taking there got stuck in crazy traffic. So the bus that I usually take to get there on time didn't get there on time. And by the time I arrived at the airport, I just missed the flipping gate closing. So um, if, if it would have arrived there on time, I would have been fine. But because it took long, I just about missed it. So that's the only time I've actually missed uh, my flipping flight. But apart from that, I always get nervous about flights and missing them. So usually before a flight on the Friday morning at 6 a.m., I won't sleep the night before. I'll be anxious. So that usually mean when I go to the airport at 6 in the morning, I want to eat because I'm hungry because I haven't eaten for the, like the past two days. And for whatever reason, I always think it's a good idea to start gouging on flipping um, or to start, you know, stuffing my face full of Burger King or like KFC or whatever fast food establishment they have in McDonald's, they have in airports. Because for some reason, most of our UK airports don't have a McDonald's, which is really annoying. You always have to go to a Burger King. And for me, I'm not sure about you guys, but I find Burger King to be incredibly subpar. I find that with Burger King, 
the quality standards across the restaurants differs so wildly that it doesn't really make it really desirable to go because you have no idea if you're going to get a half decent burger, a horrible burger, um, an undercooked burger. It's all over the place really with Burger King. So at least with McDonald's, even if you think McDonald's is mid or below mid, at least you know you're going to get like a five to six out of ten meal everywhere you go. But Burger King, I've honestly been to a Burger King's where the food wasn't edible. Like I legitimately had to throw it in the bin and I'm a fat piece of shit. I eat absolutely everything. So if I have to throw stuff in the bin, it really means a lot that I have to throw in the bin. So that usually does kind of hamper me. So I never really liked the thing that I did with going to airports and having to eat fast food and burgers and fries in the morning. It always kind of made me feel a bit weird because by the time you go on a plane, you didn't go to altitude, your stomach is feeling weird, you land, you're tired, you're full, but then you feel like eating again because it's been a long time. It's just annoying. So now with the introduction of the Elizabeth line, what I found now when I go to my European trips, which I've been to a couple already now, is that I'm now finding that I'm more prone to fasting and just eating when I land, which is the piece de resistance. So if I fly out on this, you know, on like the Friday at 6 a.m. in the morning, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have to leave my house at like three. I can leave my house at four or something and still get to the airport at a good time. So if I leave the airport at four, it's just like a normal day for me. So I can literally fast, take my plane from six to nine, land at my location just before 12 and have some lunch when I land. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to kind of eating all that way and having all that stuff filled in my belly and then feeling like, feeling like I need shit whenever I land. It's just not necessary. So I just go to the airport with a, I take my flask with me, my little refillable water bottle and just start drinking the waters. And, and maybe at max, I might go and flipping, go to a coffee shop. But honestly, it's really has um, made me somewhat like flying again because I never really like travel. I like traveling. I like to get to the places. I like being on, on vacation, but the actual travel itself... I always never liked it and most of it had to do with the flipping food stuff and just feeling weird and your body clock being all over the place because again I don't sleep the night before so now that I'm fasting before I go on my flights and eating when I land I think the next step for me now is to figure out a good sleep program before I go on my early morning flights because I still think as brutal as those flights are I think it's the best thing to do if you're doing a kind of a four-day weekend or somewhere especially in a place like Europe where most of my flights are like two hours or three hours maximum there's, you know, it's better to kind of leave early on a Friday morning so you get that whole Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday and a maybe a Monday to kind of enjoy as opposed to flying out later on a Friday because you don't get, you know, a lot of time in a day. So I need to figure out a way now to kind of sleep. But honestly, I feel like if you don't do it already or if you are and I'm basically late because I'm sure I am, but if I'm late, please forgive me. But please make sure if you can, try and fast in the morning before you go to the airport. Or sorry, uh, just fast in the morning before your flight don't eat and just eat whenever you land in your location especially if it's like a under fucking five hour flight you don't need to be eating that way because i used to always fucking hate it and detest it and i used to hate fucking the feeling of landing somewhere needing to shit not knowing where to shit um and just feeling flipping all flustered and stuff covered in sweat wanting to have a shower you know whatever wanting to have a drink and then all your brains will over the place and fried i don't want that so the last thing i want to do is have that kind of fried going on so just take that stress out of the way and then be able to approach the holiday with a good mindset and a good eye that's what i like to do that's what i like to do um but yeah moving on from that one a big up to the stream chat locking in i do honestly appreciate every appreciate every single one of you that's here i actually want to mention this quickly because i just saw this now on hypebeast and it's flipping funny i think somebody mentioned it in the chat just now so it looks like amy leon door have launched a live music series which I feel like doesn't really make much sense for their brand 
But having thought about it a bit more over time, when before I kind of prepared for the show, it does make a lot of sense in terms of maybe humanizing a brand somewhat. I'm a big fan of AOD. I like what they do. Obviously, the prices are flipping crazy. It kind of reminds me of like Visvim, fuck you, pay me days when everybody was in love with fucking Hiroki Nakamura. And what uh, was that his name? Hiroki Nakamura. Is that Nak Hiroki? I think Hiroshi or Hiroki? Whatever the name is, the guy, the founder of Visvim. Everyone was in love with him. But then there came a period where Visvim prices just went crazy high. And a pair of like FPTs were like just under a grand or something. Button up shirts were 500. T shirts were like three, 200 like i've still got a couple of vision shirts that i now have my wardrobe that I've, don't get me wrong the quality is amazing i've washed them to death and they still hold fucking you know they still flip and maintain their form and shit but the prices are always crazy but the quality is amazing and even though the you know the shapes and the styles of the clothes are a little bit repetitive and there's not much innovation going on there i don't think so a lot of the things are based on vintage items especially when you look at stuff like visvim a lot of sourcing a lot of sourcing of like vintage clothes and basically remaking it and whatever it may be and i mean um, aod has a particular kind of you know aesthetic that they kind of go for that they also kind of pencil in with a lot of vintage stuff and they kind of remake it's all really good but it's a bit overpriced for what it does. But one thing that I've actually kind of realized with AOD, maybe because I don't go to the store because I just consume most of the stuff online. I don't actually go to physical stores. The only physical store that I've kind of gone to a lot, maybe in the past 12 months, may have been like Goodhood and maybe Dover Street Market. Those are the only two stores I've actually entered in physically. That's it. Um, I haven't been to End, I don't think, ever once. Um, I've, I've not. I've rarely been to Foot Patrol ever since it's moved to a location over there. But big up the guys over there. I still got some friends over there that work there. So big up them. And a few other places. Selfishes I don't give a fuck about. So I mainly do my shopping from online. But I still get the feeling that AOD is a little bit sterile. It's a little bit soulless. It's kind of like the opposite of flipping Fear of God, which makes no sense because Fear of God's kind of got the same color palette aesthetic kind of thing as ald but actually with this live music series with them utilizing their actual stores and obviously i think the stores already have this like coffee shop thing going on that people flip in love i actually think this is a good thing to do this is actually a really really good thing to do because it's going to humanize ald and it's going to make people actually um you know uh think of it as more than just a place that makes expensive fucking polos and it's actually going to put a face to an uh, you know a, a um a face to the name it's going to give it a bit of a vibe it's going to bring a community around it and also to be completely honest aod is always like a bit of a stunt a bit of a flex a bit of a flossing type of brand right you always gonna people always look good wearing it but i never think of music I never think of joy. I never think of expression. I never think of dancing. So actually, this is quite good for LD because it actually will help them to be somewhat cooler. Because I think they make cool clothes, but I don't think there's anything cool about the brand per se. You know, but I think the music side of it will give it another little kind of pop. So I actually do like it. And I like the fact that they're actually doing it themselves and they're not doing it... Um, in partnership with like a boiler room or something right they're just doing it on their own sort of platform and kind of letting it live um the first in the mix series was actually legendary um hip-hop dj i guess you call him a new york legend stretch armstrong was there let me actually play a bit of it now uh, i'm not i'm gonna take off the I'll take on mute so it doesn't so it doesn't flip and get copyright striked but as you can see here pretty kind of self-explanatory dj mix series here going on with him playing at the mob at the store in mulberry over there in new york and put the uh, the thingy the p down with it so you can see it so there's a flipping pause 
So pretty self-explanatory, pretty easy to see. If anything, maybe the angle's a little bit dead. Maybe kind of, you know, zooming it in a bit so we can see maybe the, con the controls of the mixer and stuff because I think they're using a rotary mixer and stuff. So that'd be nicer to see. I think there's another angle here actually so you can see a little bit more of it behind the booth. No, it's actually not a rotary mixer. It's a standard mixer. So I'll take that one back. But it looks fairly decent enough. And I think it's actually a good initiative going forward. So I'm actually a fan of this. I actually think it'll do them the world of good to have a little bit of a vibe and a soul and an energy about the store. And it'll not just be fucking sterile and not just be fucking soulless. So I'm all for it. Um, this is a blurb courtesy of Hypebeast. It says, Ami Leondor's success isn't contingent on the clothing or the collaborations alone. Streetwear loyalists have long known this. Quality and transparency are certainly pillars of any brand. Bro, what's, what, what are they fucking talking about? Um, let's just get past that fucking um, fellatio. One of the biggest ways AOD has cultivated his presence is in the curation. From its timeless lookbooks, the way the shops have been laid out to the vintage sports ephemeral. Yo, who's writing this? Two paragraphs in this. Do I have to explain what's going on? Okay, there we go. Third paragraph. Banking off the latter, the New York-based label has announced a new monthly DJ series produced exclusively through Apple Music. Wow, it's going to be through Apple Music. Yo, AOD has gone big time. They're signing deals with fucking Apple Music. Holy shit. Okay, fair play. Dubbed Sound, the inaugural edition, features legendary New York-based DJ Stretch Armstrong, who guides us through an hour-long set filled with a pulsating blend of funk and soul. How's that ALD's flagship store in 21... Um, for Mulberry Street or 214 or 214 Mulberry Street, Stretch flows for one of 45 to the next like a surgeon in an operating room featuring tracks from uh, Lowell's. Remember someone describing my DJ set like that, right? Reaving from 145 to the next like a surgeon in an operating room. Bruh, you guys need to chill out, man. He's playing some 45s on some shitty turntables, you know, on a pretty basic setup um, in, you know, in front of some wooden furniture with some fake vinyl in the shelves. It's not that deep, guys. Like, let's just, let's relax a little bit. But as you can see there, it's all ready available. Check them out on their flipping site. You can see on their actual channel, it's on there, which is great to see. And let's see how it kind of evolves and kind of goes on from there because I think this actually may do them the world of good going forward to give the brand a little bit of life and breathe some actual personality into what they do because for now i've seen it to be a bit soulless and a bit dead but you know what what do i know what do i know yeah, exactly not today satan saying ai writes that exactly i bet they are i bet ai is writing a lot of that shit it wouldn't surprise me uh big up sarlux love you back my friend big up Koira. see you in the chat there big up not today satan big up lucid footwear and clothing big up you my guy big up um dun dun daughter is there crash as well is here big up big up big up so moving on from that one um quick one to mention this so this has been going kind of viral on my side of the internet where this young lady called Bobby um, Althoff has just basically pissed off loads of established journalists in hip-hop and shit, right? Loads of black people in hip-hop have been pissed off that this little white girl has had the opportunity to um, interview Drake laying down on a bed somewhere. Um, in you know, while he's on his tour, um, you know, it was all a blur or something like that. I forgot the name of the tour, but he's on tour now doing good things. And uh, this Bobby girl managed to snag a 55-minute or so interview with with drake which i think was one of the better ones because you know her whole shtick is that she's kind of dry um there's a lot of flipping sarcasm going on there it's a bit of a funny interview it's not too serious no one's going to be asking you crazy shit about your baby mother or about beef and shit so it's a bit of a ha ha he he good time especially if you're on tour the last thing you want is to go into one of those kind of gotcha breakfast style breakfast club style interviews so i completely understand it but it's been funny to see the response 
from my American brothers and sisters over there, right? Because I think they're not used to this because I think we have had a bit of practice in the UK with that girl called Amelia who does Chicken Shop Date, who I've always hated. I've always hated that show. I thought that show was fucking pants. I've never watched one episode of it in my entire life. In the same way, I don't think I've ever listened to a fucking NTS show. I'm just not that guy. Um, everyone else enjoys it. Cool, do your thing, but it's just not for me. And the Amelia thing, when it comes to Chicken Shop Date, I just never understood it because the thing about the UK, which is probably different to like the States, or maybe it's the same over there, I'm not too sure. Most chicken shops, especially the ones that people kind of rave about, are in the hood or in the area. Ends. they're in usually predominantly black neighborhoods poor neighborhoods right and usually a chicken shop is a marker of a poverty stricken neighborhood like if you have chicken shops and betting shops in your area more than likely the unemployment rate is super high crime is super high everyone's suffering and those places are usually like i wouldn't even call them safe havens but they're just cheap places to go and eat most of the day right they usually open crazy up maybe some of them are open like 24 hours which is fucking insane they're usually really cheap you can get like six wings and a drink for maybe 150 or two pound so if you don't have much money and wherever you're in ends and you want someone to go eat and chill whatever with your mates and stuff and hang out you can go there so for the most part the only people that you see in chicken shops are black and brown people usually in ends there might be a few white people here and there that are from ends that you might see but you won't see a white girl that looks like amelia in there so i never understood the stick i never got the premise of the show of having a really posh looking girl sit in a chicken shop because she wouldn't be seen dead in those places if she wasn't filming the show like and i would go as far as saying she probably didn't eat at one before she even done the show so i never got it so i thought to myself why don't just film the show in the studio that Amelia girl does a good job, clearly. People like to her show. It's very successful at the time. I think it still is. It's still on now, don't get me wrong. People love what she does. I don't understand why they could just do the show in the studio. It would have just done... It would have worked just as well, personally. So I never really vibed with it because of that. And I kind of felt like... Not, not that I'm saying, like, fucking fried chicken belongs to black people. But it just felt a little bit patronising. That's all. For me, personally, I just didn't like that thing. It just feel, didn't feel congruent. And I'm big on that. I'm big on congruency. Whatever you're into, just display it. Be flipping, you know, unapologetic about it. But let's not lie. Let's not try and make it out to be one thing when it's not the other thing, right? It's just not necessary. So, long story less long, I don't mind it when these whites come in and they do their own thing, but then they also invite the hip-hop world into it as well. Because I feel like, in general, a lot of hip-hop artists, especially the American ones, they get scummed with interviews. I feel like a lot of the platforms that are out there, they don't actually... Um, they're not there to kind of help, you know, signal boost the artist or give them a platform to kind of reach new people or to say their piece. They're usually there as kind of like weird gotcha type journalist platforms. If anything, they're just as bad as like TMZ. Because for the most part, these platforms just want to get the juicy gossip because most of them, that's what they kind of live off of, right? The You know, the Instagram pages like DJ Academics is one, the Shade Room, all these sort of places, they're not really there to you know to give you insight on the artist art you know approach to music they're not really there to really give you another side of them like in terms of a human they're just there to kind of be talking about the mess when it comes to baby mama drama beef um whatever else it may be so it makes sense why these artists are going to these other platforms to go and have interviews because no one wants to go and sit in a what hour and a half interview where you're having to fucking you feel like you're in an interrogation doesn't make any sense to me personally so i'm all for this bobby out of girl doing her thing and i even like the fact that she's becoming way more successful within a particular niche that hip-hop exists in because i feel like if anything a lot of these guys anyway and gals especially if they're 
No, if you've got someone that's like intrinsically tied to the streets, the last thing you want them to do is have a serious interview because you don't want them to incriminate themselves and end up getting in more trouble. I actually would prefer to see a guy or a gal that's got really deep street ties sit down with a Bobby Althoff and have a really, you know, or like a funny Marco and have a really funny, off-kilter, sarcastic, dry humour type of, you know, interview as opposed to sitting down with Vlad or with Charlemagne or with whoever else, or academics, and, and be grilled about some drilling that one of their friends went on. I don't want that. So I'd rather them sit there. So I'm all for this. But... The reaction online from people, especially black side, black Twitter side of things, has been very, very strong. They don't like it. Um, as you can see here from the screenshot, some person here um, retweeted a clip that features Little Yatty now doing an interview with that Bobby Altop girl. So I'm assuming maybe Little Yatty was the one that put Drake on because I think you know Drake and Little Yatty clearly have a, a close friendship and they're probably you know recommending stuff to each other and whatnot. Or maybe Drake knew about it anyway. Who knows? Either way, Little Yatty's got another interview with her coming up soon. And this person quote tweeted it: the clip of her and Little Yatty sitting down and said, "Can we get that hot dark skin Walmart girl?" To interview rappers instead actually i'll be down for i think that'd be actually a good interview to do i'm surprised they haven't done more of that um i think i don't know where she's from in america but there's this like cute black girl that basically goes to walmart and asks people really funny deadpan questions and stuff usually sexual but i think that would work another person quote tweeted and said why are there so many random white girls with monotone sarcastic personas interviewing rappers again like i said i think these rappers just prefer to sit down with people that aren't going to judge them and are just going to be a little bit fun and won't take the whole thing too seriously. And this is why they go there personally and they won't get into their fucking business. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, where this woman spawned from, another person says. Another person here says, I hate to be this nigger all the time, but man, I don't like that random white bitch can get these interviews, but there's black publications out there who guys like Drake and Yachty won't show love to. But that's the reason why, because I think most of those publications that Drake and Yachty won't show love to are usually the same publications that shit on them. That's the funny thing. The ones that, especially Drake, the ones that question Drake's blackness, the ones that question his you know, um, traces in women, the ones that question his hip-hop authenticity, whatever it may be, they take a piss out of his accents and how he approaches collaborations are the same places that are now getting their cracking nose bent out of shape because Drake doesn't want to sit down with them. It's absolutely redacted, in my opinion. I think it's really, really redacted, really dumb, makes no sense. But again, what do I know when it comes to this stuff? What the hell do I bloody know? Um, and then continuing on from that side of things, just to continue on from it, I felt this was one of the funniest parts of the whole entire thing. For me, this is one of the most funniest parts of this whole entire thing. So I've really had a bit of a bee in my bonnet, a bee in my bonnet about fucking Elliot Wilson from Rap Radar. He's always fucking got, under, got on my nerves. And I think a lot of it has to do with that kind of, um, is it, is that, there's this, um, there's this, um, Carl Jungian thing right where he basically says Carl Junger basically says like if you hate somebody for something it's usually because you see something in yourself you see that that thing that you hate in them in yourself so maybe with with Elliot Wilson because he's so unapologetically a lick ass and a networker and somebody that gets off of like being friends with certain people and being a part of the industry and being a gatekeeper and that's the complete opposite of what I am as a person. And I like to do stuff on my own. I don't like to ask for favors. I don't want to network. I don't want to do, all, you know what I mean? I'm a bit on my own sort of thing. Yo, big up, um, Abbe Martinez. Big up, big. Giving my car a bath listening. 
smiley face. <laughs> big up, big up, big up. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Um, I think because of because of my um, thank you for the super chat, brother. Honestly, appreciate that. Because of all of that, I feel like that's what sometimes I get annoyed when I see fucking Elliot Wilson. Because I know there are parts of me that maybe there's probably a deep, deep part of me that wishes I could do that kind of like ha ha he he smooching, rubbing elbows, shaking hands, kissing baby type of shit. And maybe I feel like in my head, oh, if I did that, maybe I'd be a bit, I would be a bit further in my career and the stuff that I wanted to do outside of my nine to five. Maybe I'm not too sure. Either way, I've always flipping disliked the guy and I thought he's a fucking try hard and I've just just kind of disliked the fact that he kind of tried to paint himself as to be the kind of the premier flipping hip hop journalist out there, right? Just got on my nerves a bit. So all of this to say, um, out of no, out of nowhere, but I'm thinking more so because of that Bobby Outoff girl. Elliot Wilson went on Twitter and said the following: "Moment of clarity, no disrespect to little boat. Yeah, his combo with the boy was comfy, the boy being Drake, and had some cool moments." I was more so clowning the comedy shenanigans with outsiders from, to our culture. It would be great to hear Drake speak to us again, even if it ain't me. So essentially, Elliot Wilson is crying and complaining that that Bobby Outoff girl got an interview with Drake before he did. Even though he got one of the more longer in-depth interview with Drake a few years back. I think when he did Views from the Six or something, I think Drake sat down with... Um, B dot who's another fucking spang and elliot wilson and they had one of those kind of hip-hop interviews about legacy and all this sort of shit right cool whatever safe but i actually think it's quite refreshing that drake is number one on the button with what's new and what's current and the interviewing and sitting down with people like a boy out of who's maybe got i think like four or five bits of content out there isn't that well known but if you're part of the culture and you're on the internet and you know wild one you know that she's doing bits so it's kind of plugged in i'd love to see that right cool whatever it may be and from an artist point of view it makes more sense to go and sit down with her because it's less exhausting you're not going to be stressing and straining to make sure you say the right thing or to say this or say that or say your piece on BLM or talk about this other police brutality thing or this race issue or this baby mama drama or this beef. It's just it gets exhausting after a while. You just want to sit down and shoot the shit and have a bit of fun, catch your LOLs and keep it moving. So I actually understand why they go there. But for these hip hop journalists, guys, they actually think they're still gatekeepers. They think their scene of the industry is still the same, where we need these old fucking farts that still be doing this. And actually, if you think about it, if you actually deep it, the fact that Drake is going to that Bobby Outoff girl is actually a good thing because it means it gives the youth a chance. So platforms like Montreality, I feel like, should be getting Drake interviews before Elliot Wilson. In my personal opinion, I'd rather see Drake sit down with fucking Montreality, right, or Bobalam or something, right, or fucking, um, who's the other guy um, from... Um, our next generation, whatever it's called, right? I'll rather him with Hakeem. I'd rather Drake sit down with Hakeem and those type of dudes than sit down with Elliot Wilson because those guys are young. Those guys are current. Those guys are plugged in. Uh, those guys actually like Drake as an artist, right? They're not, you know, they're fucking fans. So it'd be nice to see him sit down with people that actually give a fuck about what he does and care and maybe, you know, will break down lyrics and go through fucking B-sides and arcs about, you know, fucking leaks and singles that never drops and videos and rumored collaborations. That would be fucking interesting to hear i don't want to hear about a beef and all the other shit and about the fucking ghost writing stuff and about this and about meek mill and about no we're fucking bored of it leave us alone so i like the fact that that interview triggered a person like ellie wilson because i've always thought he's a fucking weapon i've always thought he's a bit of a spang and in my opinion everything that i would hope not to be in this because the thing about ellie wilson he's had an amazing run 
you know, double XL, all that fucking shit. Rap Radar. He's got the fucking association with Jay Z. He's on fucking Rock Nation, basically. He's got the fucking stupid paper plane hat somewhere in his fucking bedroom, right? Like you're locked. You got a job for life. You go to Rock Nation brunches and shit. You go to the fucking all white party. You're nice. You're locked in. Like you've had a good run. You're in your fucking fifties now. Move aside and let the other, let the young bucks in and let them do their thing. But clearly, they don't want that. They'd rather just, just stand there and just fucking hold the microphone. So the funniest thing from that, the funniest thing from that was this next slide, right? So after him throwing his toys out the plan about Drake and being like all butthurt that he didn't get the interview, the funniest thing happened. Guess what happened in the fucking following couple of days? Elliot Wilson went to fucking Rolling Loud Miami. Elliot Wilson, for some reason, had a rap radar booth or whatever, maybe, at Rolling Loud fucking Miami, the home of the fucking Gen Z, the home of the kids, where the entire lineup is made of artists who most people under 30 love and most people over 30 hate. He went to fucking Rolling Loud Miami and, and was roaming around doing fucking interviews. And he did an interview with fucking Trippy Red just after his fucking set. Do you think fucking um, Elliot Wilson can name you fucking five Trippy Red songs? Do you think he even likes him as a fucking artist? But here he is trying to hang on for dear life and be a part of the conversation. So it was fucking awesome to see Drake call him out in the comments. And I think the original picture or the original clip came from Academics' comments. So big up DJ Academics because, you know, Drake basically replied to one of his stories. So that means that Drake actually does know that DJ Academics is alive and exists because for the longest time it felt like DJ Academics' love for Drake was kind of one way. And as much as I think DJ Academics could be a little bit of a cringe, a bit lame, a bit corny, I love how unapologetically a fan of Drake Academics is. So it's quite nice when people are fans of you, overly, like super fans, that the person who's the artist can, you know, reciprocate that love and acknowledge it some way, right? So it's good that Drake is actually acknowledging Academics and not making him feel like a groupie you know, or some kind of obsessed stalker or something. So big up Drake for replying to academics in his comments. So Drake in the comments said the following, vis-a-vis um, -vis the fucking picture or the clip story of Elliot Wilson interviewing Trippy Red at Rolling Out Miami. Drake said, LOL, man, um, man shits on me for not coming to his platform for a second time. And now Elliot is 10 toes doing Yes Jules run-up interviews at Rolling Loud. Just admit that you've took over, big dog. Right, which is an incredibly funny and hilarious rant and rip into because he basically summarized all my thoughts in about five or six lines. And I love the fact that he threw in a random straight a fucking Yes Jules because Yes Jules is intrinsically tied to Rolling Loud and Miami and shit and it's success. She probably doesn't get her flowers for how much work that she done in, in terms of kind of propelling that platform or that festival, sorry, and giving it a good kind of, you know, bit of promotion and what. I'm sure they did well for her too, but she's just intrinsically tied to that whole thing. So him kind of throwing Yes Jules under the bus as well there or a little shot at her was fucking hilarious. But I love the fact that he called it out so eloquently. You were there complaining about me lying down with this little white girl, but here you are running around fucking rolling loud, interviewing fucking Trippy Red and asking him fucking philosophical questions just after he, ended, he's, he spent fucking 40 minutes jumping up and down on stage. If anything, Elliot Wilson shouldn't be there. If anything, um, you know, like I said, the, the likes of Montreality and all those kids, they should be holding a microphone talking to fucking Trippy Red. Actual fans of his, kids maybe within his age range, right? People maybe born just around the same year that he was born in. They should be there interviewing him, not fucking dusty ass fucking Elliot Wilson. But that goes to show how the scenes are entertainment industry by and large. Because in general, these are roles that are quite coveted, right? And because it's a hard scene to get into, once people do get in there, 
they don't ever want to let it go, which I understand because it's a really good job to have for life, right? The fact that you essentially get to talk into a microphone, you get to be a fucking media figure, and you basically get to pretend like you are an artist, like you matter when you don't. Because I feel like a lot of these journalists, a lot of these bloggers, they get this, uh, they get this idea because they talk about shit a lot that is somehow fucking an integral part of the fucking conversation. When really, I feel like the wide, ma the the majority of people just consume this content because it's content, but they don't really give a fuck about the people. We already saw a little bit of evidence vis-a-vis um, -vis with um, DJ Academics doing that fucking festival shit that he did, right? Where no one turned up to his stage. Don't get me wrong. Maybe a horrible thing to compare it with because it's a festival and it was last minute and no, he didn't really promote it. But you got to see that even though he's got millions of followers on his platform, people just follow the platform because he happens to post the stuff that they're into. But they don't give a fuck about him personally to go to, to, go to the point of like paying tickets. So I feel like a lot of these journalists and media guys they get it twisted because they speak a lot about these guys. They feel like, oh yeah, we are part of the conversation too. They want to hear what we have to say. It's like, nah, sit down, bro. We care about the artists. We care about the music that they make. We care about the stuff that they fucking put out there and we enjoy it for what it is. But just to end it, Elliot Wilson saw that post from fucking Drake and said, oh, it's go time. Cool. As if he's going to fucking do anything. As if Elliot Wilson's going to fucking do anything. What's Elliot Wilson going to fucking do? Run the fade with fucking Drake. <laughs> because if you're listening to an interview, that's even more losery than actually complaining about it. But regardless, I was happy to see fucking Elliot Wilson get dunked on because I've never been a fan of him. I've always thought he's a fucking donut. But again, like I said, there's a part of me that thinks the reason why I don't like Elliot Wilson is because I know that's a, there's a, I know that maybe I hate something in him that I kind of see myself that I could be prone to doing, right? The licking ass, the wanting of validation, the kind of wanting to be a bit of a gatekeeper, all that sort of shit. Maybe it's something that I see myself. I'm not really too sure. But either way, fuck Elliot Wilson and happy fucking Drake said what he said because then we got that reaction that we got from Elliot and I fucking loved it. Next on list, moving on. We've got this Instagram page that I love to fucking follow called um, kazkaz99. If you're out there, um, no, it's Cascash Triple Nine, sorry. If you're out there and you're a fan of all these guys, um, you know, these guys in the scene, artists, whatever they may be, uh, influencers, people, whatever that, that were fucking cool and interesting clothes, and sometimes you want to find out what they wear and you want to fucking ID some pieces that you're not really too sure of, most of the stuff I kind of can figure out because I'm fucking smart and because I'm plugged in and because I've got the fucking juice. But sometimes I don't know what's what, right? So it's good to fucking see it on this sort of pages. So this page called Kaz Kaz Triple Nine does a good flipping, you know, job of breaking down people's outfits and showing you what they're wearing. One thing I've noticed recently, um, we had Playboy Carti um, at fucking Rolling Loud and we had fucking Travis Scott performing at Rolling Loud too. And they've both adopted this like motocross um, footballer type of, you know, aesthetic. They're both wearing jorts but they're also both wearing these fucking padded, um, you know, motocross sort of like undergarment things. These sort of like bulletproof shield things that kind of stretch out across your arms and whatever it may be. You know, sort of stuff that if you people, you know, that fucking do motocross, they wear underneath their fucking shirt. So you fall down, you don't fucking, you know, break all the bones in your body and whatever it may be. So they're all adopting this sort of garb. And I'm wondering if this is like an extension of how Yeah used to perform. When Yeezy on the air perform, he sort of put on these masks and put on this type of uniform because he sort of like felt like he was a superhero. It was sort of like him transforming into this character that he was on stage, right? It was a kind of an alter ego, kind of like Sa Sasha Fish, right? Sasha, sorry, Fish, Sasha Fierce, right? It kind of was a bit like that. So these guys feel like they're kind of doing the same thing. So it's funny to see um, Playboy Carti on the right here, this slide, and also Travis Scott 
having the same type of aesthetic, right? With the motocross sort of like under things. The one thing that I really liked actually recently that really kind of tickled my fancy. And I was like, you know what? I might actually kind of get these because they kind of remind me of these legendary Balenciaga uh, boots that I was never able to get because they sold out really quickly. I think they might have been from like 2017 or something, Balenciaga. If I'm going to double check here on my phone, I think it might be 2017 full winter Balenciaga, the same Balenciaga collection where they debuted the triple S's for the first time. Let me see if I'm right. I think it's 2017. I think it might be full winter 2017. Let me see if I can see if it's correct here. The, the the first year that the Blenchyaga Triple S sneakers were debuted and everyone went crazy for them. I think it was the same time. Yes, I'm actually right. Yes, well done, Agostino. So, fall 2017, you might be able to see on my phone there, they debuted a pair of boots that I've always liked, these like riding boots that sold out really quickly and I never be able to get a pair. But essentially, there were these motocross boots that were made like in the Blenchyaga sort of style. You can't really see it too tough on my phone, but it kind of looks like that, right? And I've always fucking loved them, right? These little, little motorcycle boots, and I've kind of always worn the pair. Now, Playboy Carti, interesting enough, at Rolling Loud, wore actual pair of motorcycle boots that I thought were Balenciaga, but they're not. They're, they're, they're just regular motorcycle boots, and they're made by a brand called City Sport. So I don't know if anybody in my chat here rides a bike or knows about bikes, but essentially these are City Sport Adventure mid Gore-Tex boots. And I actually won a pair, and I Googled them. Right, I googled them, right? And actual motorcycle boots are a lot more expensive than I thought they were. They're like 200 pounds, brand new. 200, I think, and 20 pounds or something. I was actually surprised by how much they were. These boots here, they're actually a lot more expensive than I thought they would be. These are 200 pounds, bro, 200. But I think I actually might want them because they actually do do a good job of maybe, you know, copying that sort of Blenciaga boot from flipping full winter 17 that I've always wanted. So they actually do a good job of doing it. So big up Playboy Carti for the fucking heads up. And like I said, if you are um, plugged in and you like that sort of stuff, I recommend you check out Kaz Kaz triple nine Kaz Kaz K A Z K A Z nine 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 on Instagram. They do a really good job of breaking out people's outfits and showing you what they were wearing and shit. But these boots look fairly sick. I'm really really keen on them. But I was actually surprised. Yeah, okay. Coil is saying yes, they're expensive, but they last a while. Okay, cool. So that's good to hear. Um, and also, I'd imagine because they're motorcycle boots and your 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 toes have to flex somewhat, you have to change gears. They're not going to be as kind of stiff as because I bought those because when Kanye was fucking wearing his fire, you know, his fucking um, big waterproof boots and shit, I went out and bought a pair of um, fireman boots. I bought a couple of them to wear out. I still haven't worn them. I've fucking spent fifty pounds on buying a couple of pairs from second on eBay. But one thing I realized about fire fireman boots. Obviously, they're incredibly insulated. You get really warm in them really quickly. But they're also not the most flexible boots to wear or comfortable. You know, they're not really designed for you to have them on your feet all day. So it's a bit hard to kind of make them rock or make them work with your regular outfits and shit. So I'd imagine motorcycle boots being on the on the bike all day, changing gears, um, also walking around in them, most likely they're going to be somewhat comfortable. So I might have to flip in, actually check them out and see if I can get a pair. But I was surprised to see how expensive motorcycle boots were. I had no idea. They're actually literally like 200 quid brand new. Like it was actually surprising to see, but 
They actually do look really well constructed. You've got this really nice little um, latch and clasp system, sorry, on the top here. You've got interesting bits of different kind of panels on the side in terms of materials, which I'm sure has some sort of utility on it, maybe because you're going to be having this side of your foot on the side of the bike. And usually that's probably next to the engine when it heats up. So you need to have a particular sort of fabric to kind of, you know, absorb all that heat so that your leather doesn't melt. There's different sort of bits and bobs on the top of the toe that I'm assuming helps to kind of change the brakes and shit um so yeah they look fairly cool fairly sick and i reckon with a pair of fucking denim shorts not jorts because i fucking hate jorts but an actual pair of denim shorts i think these will end up looking sick so i'm actually gonna try and get a pair sooner rather than later now that i've actually seen what the model is and i'm actually gonna see and try and make them work but yeah i was surprised to see how expensive flipping motorcycle boots were retail prices but i guess that is making some level of sense out there okay so um continuing on let's go from here and say this i was actually surprised to see this and i was surprised to see a lot of people actually caring about this and actually believing this to be true because if you actually pay attention and you're a fan of rocky and his music you would know that ever since the whole um ian connor rape allegations went down ever since the whole um asap barry being convicted of fucking what did he get convicted of was it m molestation or, or some anyway he got convicted of something in the uk ever since those two things went down rocky's always had this kind of thing that he does where he would have an outburst on stage where he'll say fuck barry fuck connor or something he always kind of says that i feel like every other year something like that happens but usually it's barry would be like oh and that asap barry boy he's a bitch or something right and it would always be in my opinion somewhat performative like he's just doing it to get kudos points online, which is bizarre because I always got the feeling that Rocky didn't really care what people said about him online because he's the same person who famously said black women shouldn't wear like colored lipstick and shit and still was out here rocking or whatever. Maybe he says some very flagrant stuff from in public, but has never really shied away from, he's never really come out and like, you know, on a big fucking apology tour. So I, always, I never really understood why he would go out of his way to kind of try and say Barry's a bitch or Ian Collins a bitch's lyrics just so PC people online when usually he doesn't usually care. But anyway, all things changed at Rolling Loud. He did do the same thing again. And at Rolling Loud Miami during his performance there as a headliner, which I don't know why that's happening still. I feel like ASAP Rocky has no business headlining any festival. Um, unfortunately, he is extremely washed now. And as a big fan of him and as a fan of ASAP Mob in general and kind of having grown up, kind of watching them sort of ascend, it's been quite sad to see. But it is pretty obvious to me that he is a bit washed and there's a lot of artists out there that probably deserve to headline those festivals more so than him. Regardless of that, during his set, he said the following. Cool young lord ASAP Barra, he a bitch. And young boy Ian Connor, he a bitch. Now, if you actually watched the performance, you would have seen that he didn't say this with his chest. It kind of came out a little bit... It kind of came out a little bit weak. It kind of came out a little bit like he kind of wanted to say it, then said it, then regretted it. He didn't really say it with any bass in his voice. So I wasn't... I didn't really take it seriously. I was like, oh, whatever. It's just whatever it may be. But the internet kind of ran with it. But maybe because the internet is kind of hoping that Rocky has this like come to Jesus moment where he finally realizes that Barry and Ian Connor probably aren't great guys and publicly sort of like admonishes them, which I don't really like. I've never understood this call for people. Like it's all well and good canceling the people that do the fucked up shit. 
like Ian Connor may have done a madness in his past, right? The whole 31 accusations thing. Bari obviously got convicted of that madness, you know, taking off the sheet of that girl when she's smashing his boy in the fucking room and slapping her bum and all this sort of wild shit, right? And now people coming out saying some stuff. Cool. They've done their shit on their own. So that's the madness that they've done. I just never understand the calling out of the friends and like admonishing them for still being friends with these guys or wanting them to come out and publicly disavow their friends. It doesn't work like that. Anybody that has friends or has family members would know that you have family members right now that have done madnesses that don't get excommunicated from the family and still come to the fucking, you know, the, to the fucking Christmas dinners and shit. So to people to expect, especially clout demon type of guys in the scene to publicly themselves from friends who are somewhat beneficial to their careers um, because of what they've done personally themselves is a little bit, you know, whatever. But I understand because of the severity of what they've been accused of, it does look a bit wild when Rocky is still is so eager to be around them a lot, right? It's still a bit nuts. My only one that's really kind of bugged my head and that's kind of made me think, hey, I wonder why there hasn't been much conversation around it because I feel like, you know, Rocky gets what he gets, but I'm surprised that people like a Skepta doesn't get the same level of scrutiny considering like, you know, he had Solo 45 be a part of Boy Better Know and now he's in prison for rape and abusing people and all this sort of madnesses. You obviously have the stuff with... um who's the kid what's the fucking kid you've got obviously the Bari stuff Ian Connor stuff and then you've got the other guy I forgot his fucking name the UK guy um I forgot his name the kind of UK Travis Scott but Skeptics had a few people within his kind of close circle of friends who have done a madness but for whatever reason it doesn't seem to kind of stick on him it just seems to be reject re relegated to those guys maybe because he kind of moves a particular way he doesn't really speak too much maybe that's different but I was surprised that people were admonishing fucking rocky to this extent considering he didn't do none of the things that his friends have been accused of they did it and since then really you don't really see rocky around ian connor that much um you don't really see him around barry that much i feel like ever since him and fucking rihanna's relationship went to the next level and now they've got like you know a kid another kid in the way he kind of stays he kind of just stays with her more so the only person you really see him around a lot is his fucking um assistant dj type of guy what's his name um What's his name? Fucking, um, I forgot his name. Why did I forget his name? The white guy. That's the new guy you see kind of rocking around. One of the OG fucking members of ASAP Mob. You don't really see him around people too much. He doesn't even hang around Tyler too much. He's kind of grown up a bit. He's got a family. So it makes a lot of sense. So I was surprised people were really getting annoyed by it. It really surprised me. Anyway, long story less long because I'm rambling now. I didn't take this seriously. It wasn't a big deal to me. But I guess, I guess if you're fucking Ian Connor, and you see that, you're going to be pissed, right? And you see that because essentially, Ian Connor's kind of, I feel like, yeah, that's it, Lou Banger, that's it, Lou Banger. Lou Banger's Rocky's assistant and DJ and whatever, confidant guy. He's the one that's kind of always by his side more so. Um, Nas is over there doing his own thing. Um, Toby does his own thing. And a few other ones do their own thing. But um, I feel like uh, Lou Banger's always around Rocky. So he's got Rocky's back, but... Except for Lou Banga, I don't see Rocky around the lads like that. You know what I mean? He's just always like with Rihanna and, you know, and that's it basically. And maybe the other guy, he's, he's stylist, he's, um, or whatever, he's consultant guy, um, something Henshaw, the black dude with the bald head. Anyway, long story less long, I feel like Ian Connor most likely, you know, probably did the shit he was accused of. But maybe it's a bit murky because of the scene he's in. He kind of, kind of operates within that kind of stripper, you know, type of scene. 
Maybe the whole consent thing is a bit mad. I don't really know. But he's probably got a reason as to why he thinks he didn't do what he's been accused of. But maybe those things happened. But I feel like since then, he has somewhat, you know, tried to be a little bit more pulled back from the scene. He's kind of said on his own. He's not really in the mix like that too much. Maybe because... Maybe because, you know, no one wants to be around him. But I feel like he has purposely stepped away from the scene. He kind of does his own brand um, and just stays there doing that. But he's not really in the mix too much. So he must have been really annoyed when his mentions started to blow up hearing fucking Rocky on Rolling Loud Miami basically calling him, calling him out, right? That's not what he wants to hear. So Ian Connor, like a fucking boss, right? This is a very rare Ian Connor W. He saw this post of Bob Alan on Instagram that says, Ace at Rocky, this is Bari, Ian Connor, and more at Rolling Loud. And he immediately, immediately pressed fucking Rocky in the DMs on IG. Immediately. And said to him, fuck this about, question mark. Rocky comes back at 1.33 a.m. in the morning, right? Stressing. Writing flying. So whenever someone presses you, you know, you know you're getting pressed online by somebody. When they ask you a question and it's one line, and you reply back with like several lines. That's when you know you're being pressed. <laughs> Usually, right? <laughs> so um, Rocky replies back, about nothing. You probably won't believe me, LOL. Word to do. Can't blame you if you don't. So, you know, it's not nothing. Don't worry about that. These guys are capping. You know, he's, do he's doing what every fucking hip hop artist does when they say crazy shit. They always come out and say after the fact when someone reports it, oh, you took what I said out of context. No, we didn't. You were on lives talking crazy shit. That person took one of your quotes and put it on a picture. That's what you said. There's nothing out of context there. You said that thing. Anyway, cool. He said that. Ian Connor replies back. I like to hear unbelievable shit because what's going on? When we get this tone. So Ian Connor's basically saying, while one for this, we're cool. We've never had issues. Why am I now suddenly hearing on the big stage that now you're calling me a bitch? You're calling me a rapist and shit. While one for this. So basically, this little fucking munchkin, this little five foot one hobbit, right? This little fucking guy is fucking pressing Rocky. Can you just imagine that? Can you imagine being Ace at Rocky, being pretty flacco, being fucking married to fucking Rihanna, having babies with this woman, building a dynasty with this woman, right? Being the style god that you are, the musical inspiration for fucking Travis Scott, and you're allowing fucking Ian Connor to fucking press you. That goes to show, behind the scenes, these guys aren't as, you know, what you think, right? So next slide. Ian Connor continues to put it on fucking Rocky. Um... Uh, and he sends him another message again in the morning, right? So he leaves it like that. He sends another message in the morning. He says, like, probably in the morning, like, pissed off, like, what the fuck's going on here? He says, clear it up, Flacco. I'm brazy out here. So he's telling Rocky, go and clear that shit up now. <laughs> Rocky replies with two separate bubbles with bare lines in it. He says, they running with that. I jabbed that bra and forgot the lyrics mid-sentence. Listen closely, he the shit. So he's saying that he meant to diss Bari, but not this Connor. But when he thought of a creep in his head, the next person that came to mind was Connor, which is probably the worst thing to think of, to be honest. I'd be offended at that also. The, the, the one time you think of Bari, you think of him negatively. And then the, the, the next name you can think of is mine. Like, go fuck yourself. Next bubble, Rocky replies, don't feed into that young one. No plea copping, but you know you good in my book. We ain't on that type of time. <laughs> so he basically saying to him, look, I don't believe in council culture. You can go and rape one million bitches if you want. The fact that you're dressed good, 
and you're into fucking fashion is is all good with me, man. You'll be my friend. Don't worry about it. Rape as many women as you want, molest as many people as you want, destroy people's lives. It's all good, man. Because you wear fucking, you know, you wear fucking um you know, Japanese fucking denim, right? And you do side faces when you pose for style, street style pictures, you're always going to be my fucking boy. Absolutely hilarious. And then uh, obviously, Ian Connor takes Shinkos this whole thing. And the next bubble, he says, Ian Connor says to Rocky, tell them folks that Flacco, I look brazy, even, even if it's mistaken. I've been out here doing my thing, staying sucker free to minimal bullshit. And now I'm all over the place for you talk, taking shots at Bari instant karma maybe but i can't dig that so ian connor's actually been quite reflective he's saying look i understand that this might be my karma for doing some madison day because you know my assertion if you were to ask me really and you know ask my humble opinion do i do, do i think ian connor's guilty of one of the 31 accusations yes for sure but he did that thing that some people do where they do a madness and they learn their lesson right it's like a serial killer that realizes it's bad and then just stops <laughs> yeah he just stopped so i think he used to do a madness and then he realized oh shit i can't you know i can't be doing a madness i have to kind of stop and he stopped since then and since then he's been you know basically you know doing what he's doing with his brand and basically staying out of business but you know still he accepts the karma for doing the madness but don't get me involved for the sake of it but he's telling rocky clear it up clear it up but then Rocky didn't really clear it up. So then he went on fucking social, did a screenshot, right? Took out the screenshot and shit and put it out there and basically exposed the whole situation and proved that, hey, you know, these guys be talking all this shit, making it seem like I'm a bad dude. But behind the scenes, I'm out here fucking pressing these guys. And then, of course, I think the last comment I think he made, which I don't have a picture of it now, but the last thing he made, I think in the comments, Rocky was like, oh, yeah, those are my boys. It's never beef. They're my boys. It's like, come on, Rocky, man. You got pressed by fucking Ian Connor. This is embarrassing, bro. But hey, it kind of is what it is, I guess, regard. So yeah, um, Ian Connor pressed Rocky, put it on him, made him apologize, you know, and retract the insult. And again, it just makes me fucking question sometimes what actually happens behind the scenes and what these guys actually think. Because for me, I don't think it's that difficult to draw a line in certain places when it comes to friends i've always said if i have a friend that gets accused of like kitty diddling that gets accused of like rape and shit or you know sexual assault i'm out you're not my friend anymore those are the things i can kind of rule you out of i don't need to hear explanations for the most part i'm out i'm done i may want to do my own research to find out wild guan but i don't even want to hear from you like just leave me alone it, weirdly enough i could actually understand like the murder side of things, strange as this may say, right? I can maybe understand that side of things. Maybe you go into a fight with somebody and you punch them, they hit their head on a weird angle, they pass away, right? Those things happen. But stuff like, you know, drunk driving, uh, stuff like kiddie diddling, rape and stuff and abuse, whatever, you're out. I'm, I'm not involved. So I find it interesting, these guys who have way more to lose than I do, way more to lose than I do, reputational-wise, brand-wise, whatever it may be, securing your future-wise, why would you put your career in a line to like keep a friendship with somebody that's got accused of that kind of madness? Unless you honestly think they didn't do it. Unless you know for a fact they didn't do it. You know the people involved and shit, blah de blah 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 Cool. But I just don't understand why they take that risk. It's always, it's always kind of fascinated me. Like, why take that risk to be associated with these people and be cool with them when you know it's only going to do negative to your fucking brand? It's a very strange thing to do personally because, I don't know, 
31 allegations later, I'm like, maybe there's some truth to this, you know? Maybe. Maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe there's some truth to it. I don't really know. But hey, what can you do? Moving on from that one, let's talk about this a bit. I thought this was interesting to talk about, right? So, ASAP Rocky performed at Rolling Loud Miami, right? I'm going to play a little bit of the video. I'm going to actually take it off and put it on mute. Royal Lad Miami, ASAP Rocky performed. He was one of the headlining acts at the festival, which I don't think he deserves personally. I feel like he's a little bit washed to be a Rolling Loud Miami flipping um, festival headliner. But one thing that was sure or that was really shocking watching the fucking festival footage online whilst it's being streamed by various people on YouTube and shit, the kids on flipping the YouTube chats on various streams were basically saying that Rocky was washed. They were all calling him washed. They were all basically saying, hey, this guy's kind of washed. It's not, he's not as you want, he wasn't as what, good as he once was. I saw the phrase, um, Father Time came knocking and all this sort of stuff being said in the flipping chat. And I was like, wow, man, this is pretty crazy to see somebody that I thought, you know, that I kind of grew up on being a bit of an innovator and kind of pushing boundaries and being a bit of a leader of his class. Now suddenly being somebody that people kind of think, nah, he's a bit shit. I'd rather see like Yeet. I'd rather see fucking, um, what's the, what's the guy's name? I'd rather see Lil Uzi Vert, all these type of guys, than see fucking Rocky. So that was very interesting to see that he really did sort of um, age out very quickly. The five time did come and knocking. But one thing that I also noticed as well, the quality of the performance was absolutely shocking. The quality of the performance was absolutely shocking. Most of the time he spent screaming over his lyrics, which I don't understand because I feel like the theatrics of it were incredible. Like even just looking now, he's standing on top of this ladder thing with all these kids around him with the white t-shirt bandanas, the imagery on the screens, the stage production and installations, his outfits, the fucking pearl hair clips, the pearl glasses, the, the drip, the earrings, all fucking fantastic. But his actual performance was so shit so fucking shit and it's weird because i think a lot of these guys are schooled in the fucking um training of you know performing from like kanye they're all fucking acolytes or you know they all kind of look up to kanye his level of performance and one thing you have to give kanye credit for is that when kanye performs he puts on a fucking show there's no backing track that means he's not playing the fucking mp3 on just low and then screaming over it like these guys are doing so you're hearing fucking two vocals at the same time he might use an instrumental or he might use usually a track where they've got maybe like um certain points of the track where there's words will come in to kind of give him a framework of to remember which bars to say because you know loads of records so i imagine they might have a, a instrumental where maybe there's a couple of words in each verse um, there so you can have a kind of marker of what to say and when to say it but he for the most part you hear him breathing in a mic you hear him rapping same thing goes for fucking Kendrick Lamar Rocky I thought being a bit older I honestly thought he would be a little bit more wiser and be a little bit more especially because he's done a lot more of the primavera sound festival circuit he knows while guan for those type of festivals you can't go there just screaming over an mp3 you have to perform because you're performing next to bands and stuff right that are just singing the whole fucking time one hour and a half it's them singing no fucking mp3s so i thought he would do the same he didn't it was just him screaming over the bars and there was parts of it where he genuinely looked tired. <laughs> I don't know because of him smoking or because he's getting older. He genuinely looked like he couldn't even run around the stage as much. It was kind of sad to see. I'm not going to lie. But I'm sure people there had fun. As per usual, I think these festivals are less about 
the quality of the performance and more so about the vibe and the fucking ambiance and the fucking, you know, the the flipping, just meeting people there, right? If you're a kid and you go to fucking Royal Land Miami on your own, you might buck up certain people in the fucking crowd. You might make some new friends and shit. You might get some Instagram handles. You might make some quick content with people. You get in a mosh pit. Your nose is bloody. All this stuff is fucking fun and good when you're young. So you're not really there caring about the fucking quality of the performance. You just want to hear the songs that you'd know and love. Go fucking crazy. Go home. And that's it. But if you're watching it as a fan of live shows like I am on stream, and I'm, you know, I'm a little bit spoiled in that I'm also a fan of you know alternative quote unquote music. So I go to watch a lot of like live bands perform. My standard of fucking performances is that of watching a live band perform their their fucking tunes. Sometimes you go see a band perform on an in, you know an alternative artist on their own, and they may have an alternative live version of the same record that you know and love. Whereas these hip-hop guys, it's the same shit. It's the same shit. The same shit you listen to on fucking Spotify, on your Apple Music, on your Tidal, is the same shit they perform on stage. No real difference. Them just screaming over the mic. Um, their DJ is saying, open that shit up. Open that shit up. Hands in the air. Hands in the air. All this. It's just so annoying. I fucking hate it. I hate hip-hop DJs for the most part. I think they're redundant. I feel like they try to get involved too much. I fucking hate the whole, you know, forcing a mosh pit for the sake of it. I hate all that shit. I fucking hate it. And the performance of it, I fucking hate also. So it's really bad to see. It's sorry, it's sad to see somebody I feel like was iconic at one time kind of falling off and not being as great um, at their live show as they once were beforehand. So Rocky's kind of unfortunately fallen off. I'm sure the album will be good when it comes out. But unfortunately, the quality of performance wasn't that great. And I was really bummed. So Rocky Rolling Loud, for me, gets a big fat thumbs down. Unfortunately, un-fucking-fortunately. But again, I'm sure I'm in a minority because I wasn't there. And I'm sure the kids that were there probably had a fucking blast. And I'm probably talking out of my fucking ass when it comes to this sort of stuff. I've been fascinated, fascinated watching from afar this Doja Cat implosion. This Doja Cat implosion has been absolutely fascinating to watch from the outside in. Seeing her basically, um, you know, without any regard, try her best to piss off her fucking fans. And I actually like it. A part of me thinks that's actually the ultimate version of punk, right? Not caring about your fans, telling them, look, I don't love you. We're not friends. I don't really care about you that way. I'm the reason why I'm successful, you're not, and all that malarkey, and actually being honest, because I feel like a lot of people out there, a lot of artists in particular, especially pop acts, do that whole kind of fake fan service and loving the fan shit, when in reality, they don't care about their fans. They'd rather just turn up, do their show, you know, hand wave, you know, throw out a couple fucking heart symbols, you know, air kisses and keep it moving. But at least Doja's being somewhat honest about it. And I love watching it kind of play out in real time. Because I feel like even though it's very punk of her to do so, I feel like it's not honest. I feel like she's just kind of having a bit of a bad moment, maybe going through something back home, whatever, mentally, something's happened. But I don't feel like she actually doesn't care about her fans. She's just a bit frustrated and annoyed right now. So I'm sure it'll change. But because nowadays fans do have, some fans have this, I wouldn't even say entitlement. They sometimes feel very empowered in their fandom in that they feel like they're contributing to your success 
They love the fact that they can actually help you become more successful in some ways. It brings them pleasure to see you become more successful, to see you become more famous, more rich, whatever it may be. So in the same token, if you piss them off, they actually want to make it very clear that when they're over you, they're over you. And I know from my own personal personal experience, and I've had some one or two bad um, interactions with celebrities here and there, but I know from my own very anecdotal evidence that when I had a very bad interaction with the guys who founded the company Palace, right, back in the day, many, many years ago when they first started, it kind of ruined the brand for me ever since then. And I've never worn it since then. I've never bought anything from them. I've never been to the store, nothing. I've completely excommunicated a brand from my head. All from that one brief interaction I had with one of the founders where it kind of didn't go the way I probably thought it would go in my head. Maybe because I said something bad, I looked too short. Who knows? Maybe they were in the wrong. Maybe I was fully in the wrong, but whatever. It didn't go well and I completely fucking deleted it from my brain. So I think stands have the same sort of mindset that I have. Even though I'm a little bit more bitter and fucking twisted about it in my own way, I think as a fan, if you overly love something, when that thing you overly love spits in your face, it can be a real affront. It can really fucking just turn you off completely. So it's no surprise to see that some of the fans are en masse unfollowing her, like legitimately unfollowing Doja Cat to a point where you've got this little graphic here from Popbase that says Doja Cat loses over 200,000 followers on Instagram following the fans' controversy. Like she's actually have fans who are going unfollow because they don't like her and they're not really too fans about it, right? Um, but yeah, exactly, exactly. See, I knew Ucha is always plugged in. But that's a funny thing about this whole thing, right? Ucha says in the chat here, it's just Twitter, Twittering, she'll be fine. That's the funny thing about it. Like, I feel like nowadays, if you're a star or whatever it may be, it's actually the best time to be a star because I feel like sometimes your fan base is somewhat segmented. It's not, they're not all encompassing. So I feel like if you're Doja Cat, you have fans who like you just on Instagram. I honestly think this is the thing. I think there are fans of Doja Cat because she's that big. There are fans of Doja Cat who like her for her fucking crazy Instagram lives. There's f there's fans of Doja Cat that like her for her fashion. There's fans of Doja Cat that like her for her, you know, cosmetic changes and shit, like shaving her hair, different colors or fucking wigs and shit, makeup. There's things, there's people that like her on Twitter, people that like her on YouTube, people that like her music, people that like her dance, her choreography. The fans are so segmented that I don't actually think this actually matters in the grand scheme of things because it's not like all her fans are turned off it's just the particular stand side of her fan base doesn't like her anymore because she's not reciprocating how normal artists do right when normal artists have stands they reciprocate by like you know taking part in their discussions you know retweeting stuff saying i love you um, maybe sharing them out on live whatever it may be right they just reciprocate but she's clearly saying i don't want to do that i fucking hate you guys leave me alone so even though she's losing fans it's only a particular type of fan as uche mentions a particular type of fan Right, so that makes some complete sense. Yo, big up my guy Rodeo. Um, big up Rodeo in the chat. Big up, big up. So as you can see, another graphic here saying the same thing. She's losing fans. Um, and then of course the other side of things, you've got this courtesy of Pop Crave that says Doja Cat's top fan pages are all disactivating as well. Um, and these are fairly decent fan pages, right? They're not like small ones. These are fairly, I feel like, decent enough fan pages for you to worry about because, in my opinion. Fan pages are, are somewhat important nowadays because 
there's not enough meat there's not a lot of media out there that really covers everybody in exhaustive detail because there's just too many people to cover there's too many artists there's just too much music to cover everybody and cover everything they do so they always focus on the top i don't know 20 people so i feel like stand pages or fan pages of artists kind of fill that hole they're the ones that plug the holes of like covering you when you go randomly to the gym, of talking about who you might have unfollowed in your friendship group, of talking about this particular deal that you might have in the work. They're the ones that cover all that sort of like minutia, only the fans, hardcore fans stuff care. So she has one of her Instagram pages or Twitter fan pages called Doja HQ, which had over 5,000 followers deactivated. Another one called The Kitten's Room, which kind of started the whole drama the kittens controversy which had over twenty thousand followers that's got deactivated and then the last one here is doja cat news um that had over forty seven thousand um fucking followers they've also de deactivated all because of the kitten controversy which has been fucking hilarious essentially she doesn't like that her fans call themselves kittens she thinks it's cringe she would rather they didn't but the funny thing is when you go on here, um, big up Mobs World, Mobs World was able to get this screenshot from 2020 where Doja Cat in, on Twitter herself made a poll. Doja Cat in 2020 made a poll on, on, this, on Twitter where she says, because I don't feel made morally right pet naming you guys, I need you all to pick one and stick with it because see, I see this question floating around so much. What do we want to be? So she had kittens, brackets litter, and cubs brackets pride and most of her fans voted for kittens 74 percent so doja cat took part in naming her fans kittens and then years later got offended and pissed off when her fans started calling themselves kittens and thought it was cringe and lame and basically told them to unalive themselves for doing so which is absolutely hilarious so she got over it and tried to make her fans feel bad about it by basically kind of mean girling them right by basically acting as if like it wasn't cool uh you know making them feel ridiculous when she's the one that actually took part in the fucking exercise in the first place i fucking love this um fucking turn that happened right in real time and then of course you have here charlie xcx who i've been obsessed with for ages i fucking love charlie xcx um and she says doja cat is being so grumpy which i agree i don't think it's anything that deep i just think she's having a moment um she you know probably woke up one day and just was kind of over it the obligations of becky being a pop star are fucking grueling i've my kind of gut feeling is this this is a gut feeling i've always had being oops being a fan of fucking doja cat too right here's my gut feeling being a fan of her music here's my fucking gut feeling my gut feeling is this my gut feeling is that i've always thought doja cat is a bit of a terrible person like outside of music. I feel like she's not a very likable person. It's not a bad thing not to be likable. I think you could say the same thing for like Nicki Minaj is a good example, right? I feel like there's some people that are not likable, but they're just so talented it's undeniable, right? They kind of get away with it in that regard. And sometimes you, they kind of temper their personality to sort of be, be a bit more palatable. But I feel like Doja, unfortunately, just has a very unlikable personality. It may be because of how, you know, her humor, she's a bit deadpan. She's a little bit sarcastic. She's a little bit snarky, a little bit full of herself. Um, then, of course, I think a bigger issue, which people don't really talk about because I guess, you know, when it's women, it's different. But I feel like her just only liking white dudes has really rubbed people up the wrong way i'm really i'm sure of it i don't know why this makes sense but i think it does because i feel like her fan base is so fragmented she needs like a core so if she had like that kind of like core 
quote-unquote black following, it would help. But I feel like a lot of black Americans don't like her because she doesn't really identify herself like that. She seems a little bit self-hating. In my opinion, that's what I personally think. Again, I could be wrong. I personally think that. But then I think the underlying part of Doja Cat, which I've kind of got the feeling about, is this also. She's one of those people, and I've seen it before in my kind of little scene of creatives who are trying to make it. Some, and I've had tendencies to do it myself sometimes. I've had sometimes tendencies of doing it. So I think it's just like I can notice it in people. Sometimes when you're talented at what you do, when you think you've got a, you know, when you think you've got a gift in whatever art that you're into, whether it's contemporary art, whether it's photography, whether it's making music, but you haven't been noticed yet, you can sometimes build up a sense of like animosity, a sense of like bitterness, a sense of almost entitlement and anger or something because you haven't made it yet. Like how dare these motherfuckers not know how amazing I am. Then when you finally make it, it almost feel, you're almost kind of filled with contempt for your audience for only getting it now, for only realizing how amazing you are now. There's a bit of me that kind of feels that because I feel like Doja Cat has always been super talented and super, you know, amazing in her own regard. But imagine Doja Cat was always talented, but she had to blow up off of the back of that Moo song, right? Bitch, I'm a cow, whatever it shit is. Imagine what that does to your mental. If you actually are a creative, intelligent, super forward-thinking artist that has to dumb down your artistry to make it. Then she makes it and it kind of makes her feel a little bit like, fuck, man, I had to fucking put on a fucking stupid cow bikini so you got to give me a chance, because you know, to make it. And now here I am and you're all trying to make me feel like I should be, you know, humble and appreciative. Nah, I'm the fucking shit. I've always been the shit. You, you guys just didn't clock on early enough. So a part of me feels like she has a bit of that energy in her and it kind of comes out in certain times. It kind of just, rah, you know what I mean? It's weird to describe it. It doesn't really make any sense, but I've seen it before. People who are genuinely, especially in fashion, you see it. You see a lot of fashion people, especially like assistants, like studio assistants and shit, who generally think they should be the creative director. And they have this weird in, kind of like bitterness, this kind of anger in them where they kind of feel like they're like an undiscovered, you know, talent um, that they're deserving of this level of success. And sometimes it can come out in terms of like they treat their underlings really badly or it can turn out where they just cross them the right way and they took like i've met many vms for instance visual merchandisers right which eric griffin's um wife rachel is one of them at target which is hilarious right but i've met many visual merchandisers in fashion who have the biggest egos in the world because a lot of those visual merchandisers are like um frustrated or like you know um fashion designers they never actually made it Maybe their brand fumbled, or maybe it kind of it went out of business. Maybe they never got the chance to design for a house or whatever it may be. So they always kind of see themselves like as if the field that they're working in is kind of beneath them. But obviously they want to be in the industry, but it's kind of beneath them. So they kind of exude that attitude when they walk around type of thing. It's really, really strange. Honestly, I swear to God, it's really strange to see. But I feel like she's got a little bit in that in of that in her. So when her fans try and like make her feel like she should be humble and kiss their asses because they're fans of her, she's like, no, bitch, you were always going to be a fan of me because I'm fucking amazing. But it just took too long for the fucking industry to clock on because the industry is what they are. I feel like that's what's happened to her, in my opinion. Anyway. I don't know if I'm right, but I feel like kind of there. Um, Uche is saying in the chat here, kittens is cringe. I don't blame her for coming to her senses. <laughs> okay, fair. Rodeo saying Uche isn't a fan of kittens. Yep, no, I don't think she is. Um, 
Yeah, exactly. The, the uh, what's it? Radio say fair enough, but if it's making you a millionaire, but that's the thing, though. I honestly do think creators that exist where they feel like they would have been a millionaire regardless. Like fans are just they're always gonna be there, they're always gonna exist. And I'm sure there are some artists that also think the most important thing is the artist, not the fans. I think nowadays it's a bit fifty-fifty because of how making it kind of relies on a bit of collective effort. No one really makes it in a silo on their own. You kind of have to make it, even if you make the work yourself. Someone has to notice you, right? And then it kind of gets blown up that that way. So I feel like that whole like soul genius sort of thing, right? Lone genius sort of thing doesn't really exist anymore. So even though you have that kind of attitude, you can't really have it because your fans did play a role in your success. Because if your fans didn't notice you or didn't care about you, then you wouldn't be as successful. You know what I mean? You can't really force a fan base on anybody really um, in that respect. So I think that's what's kind of going on. That's my that's my kind of guttural feeling of what the deal is currently going with fucking here. And of course, to end it, to end it, to end it, to make it fucking sweet, a video comes out. I think this was filmed a couple of years ago. No, yeah, last year of Doja Cat on IG Live um, allegedly sniffing a bit of coke while she's on IG. Personally, I don't understand why this is a big deal. Maybe because I'm from Europe and Pacific, I'm from the UK, right? There was, I remember there was a report that came out years ago that they found like the highest amounts of fucking traces of cocaine in the houses of commons. I think they were sweeping down the fucking, you know, the toilet seats and the toilet things and, you know, tables and shit. And they found loads of fucking coke residue everywhere. So especially in the UK, it's the number one drug in Europe. Everyone does it. And it's not that, it's not that crazy. It just is what it is. I remember there was a, I think I remember seeing a report. I'm going to say it was Peru. I'm going to say it was Peru. Peru or maybe Bolivia. But there was one country in South America that I remember someone telling me where like, the price of cocaine was like $10 or something stupid like that. And the, 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 the basically what that person was saying was that cocaine in that country is like done like people smoking weed. Everyone does cocaine recreationally. Like they, you know, they're doing it at lunch. They're doing it at the dinner table and shit. Like families do it together. It's not that big of a deal because it's so cheap and so readily available. Um, so I kind of think it's the same sort of thing in, in the UK or in Europe overall. People do coke all the time. It's a one, I feel like it's a one drug that sort of like unites everybody regardless of your class. I feel like there probably, there's probably more people in Europe or in the UK specifically who do coke than weed. I swear to God. Whereas I feel like in, in America, it's probably the opposite probably the other way around, probably more people that smoke weed or take edibles and shit than, than smoke, than, you know, than do coke. But for some reason, I feel in America, because coke and crack are so closely linked, you guys have this idea that if people do coke, they're doing crack. Whereas I feel like in the UK, maybe because we're a little bit, you know, we're fucking all fucking addicts in our own way, everybody has their thing. So the guys that are into H are into H, the guys that are into crack are into crack, the ones that like weed like weed, the ones that like coke like coke, the ones that like weed. I mean, it's very segmented. There's not a lot of fucking people thinking, oh, because you're doing this, it's like a pathway drug. Nah, there are people that only smoke, there are people that only do pills, and there are people that only do certain other class A substances. So this isn't that big of a deal, but this is what happens when you get, when you get quote unquote canceled online. People just find all this random shit about you online and just regurgitate it. But I'm also very mystified at the fucking tendencies of you Americans to do drugs on Instagram live. Like, why are you guys so addicted to going on your phones and like doing the drugs in front of people like strangers? Like what, what is that all about? There's so many celebrities that do that. Like they get caught quote unquote doing it. But I feel like it's a thing that everyone kind of does jumps to Instagram while they're high, like 
jumps on fucking Twitter one like everybody's fucking on social media while you're high. Like why do why are you broadcasting all the fuck shit you're doing online on live? It's like the worst thing possible I'd feel like to do. Like in front of a fucking audience when you're in that kind of zone. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I feel like it's a very strange thing to kind of do overall. But Americans love to fucking do it. They love a good um they love a good jumping on social media while getting fucking smashed up. It's very bizarre. <laughs> let us live <laughs> yeah i'll let you guys live i'm just like okay i guess like you could do it any other time you want like after work in the kitchen on the toilet out like, you could do it anywhere else away from a fucking phone but the same way like fucking um jamoran he only likes fucking pulling out his blicky when a fucking instagram phone is around the same thing that you guys when you see a fucking phone you suddenly pull out the fucking chopping cards you pull out the straws Right, exactly. <laughs> Drugs made them do it, and then you fucking get crazy about it. Um, Game Bread says sherbet is big in the UK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. UK is a number one, I think, in the Europe. Um, for cocaine usage, I'm pretty sure. Number uno, number uno. Um, and anyway, last point here with the fucking Doja. I love this exchange personally because I feel like a lot of fans, a lot of sorry artists would want to say this to their fans. So Doja was on Instagram threads, said as follows. My life rules, my style, my attitude. A fan replied, Doja Cat dot, yeah, Doja dot cat dot Iran, right? So Doja's Iran-based platform of fans said, I want to hear you say, I do love you guys. As usual, you say to your fans. And Doja replies, I don't though, because I don't even know y'all. She's like, I don't fucking love you, photo fuckers. Another one, another fan replies and says, and we don't know you, but we have supported you through thick and thin. Mind you, you'd be nothing without us. You'd be working at a grocery store, making songs on fucking GarageBand, Miss High School Dropout. Fucking brutal. Like your fans know you best, so they know how to really poke you. And then she replies and says, nobody forced you. I don't know why you're talking to me like that. Like you're my mother, bitch, you sound like a crazy person. So I kind of like this attitude. Like I said, I think this is the ultimate version of punk. Like in an in a in a society where people overly try to make it seem like they love their fans and they go over the top with how much they love them. Oh, I love you guys. All this sort of nonsense. It's quite refreshing to hear someone say, I don't love you because I don't know you. I don't want to get to know you. You guys are weird. Like, it's actually quite cool. That's actually the most punk thing you could do. Like, go fuck yourselves, buy the music, come to the shows, buy my merch, keep it moving. That's actually quite cool. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of have to respect her level of fucking go fuck yourself, you know? <laughs> I love the energy. So big up Doja Cat for not fucking caring about her fans and saying, hey, leave me the fuck alone. Mind your business. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um, And then I would speak about this because I'm really curious to see. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I don't really know much about fucking Sporty and Spice. Like I said before, um... I had the pleasure, the pleasure of meeting Emily Oberg a few years ago when I did, when I um, was responsible for putting together a panel on streetwear and shit 
a few years ago in New York, I think it must have been, or maybe LA, I forgot which way it was. Um, you know, it's too many air miles, passport stamped up. Uh oh, uh oh. But anyway, one time I did this fucking streetwear panel and I booked Emily Oberg, I booked Liam McSweeney, who's the founder of Mob, who was on Real Housewives. I must I might have also booked Bobby Hundreds. I did um Kyle Eng from Brain Dead and a few other people. I forgot who else I did. Anyway, I did this panel and I got to meet her once. So she was fairly nice, right? Fairly decent, nice person to talk to. But, you know, that's not really a good kind of, you know, representation of her personality because I feel like when you're booking somebody and you're putting money in their pocket and you're in that position, people are going to be nice to you because, you know, you're giving them money. So that makes a lot of sense. So that was good. But she's one thing I'd give her credit for. She's been in the scene for ages. I've known about Emily Oberg from Day Dot. Um, she's been always been around doing her thing, spoiling rich, kind of doing this thing. But I've always thought the brand was a bit garbage, personally. I've always thought it's like an overblown merch thing. I feel like a lot of the early success came by because, you know, people thought, you know, think of Emily Oberg as being attractive. So a lot of the success of the brand was based on her being attractive, her being somewhat photogenic. Um, her having this really good eye in terms of mood balls online and all that malarkey. But the actual clothes themselves were quite shit and quite basic. But that being said, out of the blue, news came out that she's opening a store in Soho, right? In fucking New York. So congrats to that girl for being around for ages and also fucking doing the do and being persistent. Because that's one thing I've realized over the years. Over the years, as much as I can kind of say, I know this, I know that, I've been here, I've been that. One thing I haven't been has been consistent. I haven't showed up um, consistently. I haven't fucking put my voice out there. I haven't put out my work. I haven't shipped. I haven't delivered. I haven't done jack shit. So it's no surprise that the people that did, that started at the same time that I did, are fucking flourishing. I here fucking driving, you know, olive, you know, um, what you call it? Pine green G-wagons with fucking cream interior. They're living in fucking big fucking Brooklyn lofts with high ceilings, right? And brick, exp exposed brick walls. They've got fucking, you know, designer babies, right they're dating fucking tennis players and shit right here yeah? and here i am in the fucking ends with fucking police sirens and fire trucks going up and down my street and wi-fi that goes up and down right so it is what it is so i have to kind of take some ownership and accountability of that but it is quite nice to see people that you've kind of grown up on or around at the same time kind of doing great things. So there's an article here, courtesy of New York Times, where it's featured um, Emily Oberg in Sporting Rich. It kind of gives a bit of a indication and insight into what's kind of gone on and how she's kind of got here. And I want to read it with you guys. So the title is called, Is the World Ready for Another Goop? Goop. Right. So this is Emily Oberg basically saying that she has ambitions of getting to goop level. So clearly she's fucking aiming for the fucking moon. Right. She's aiming for the moon, for the stars. So big up Emily Oberg. So it's coach of Jessica Tate of New York Times. Let's read. It says there was once an Instagram called Sport and Rich. For a time it served as a non-commercial purpose. It was more of a brain tickle of pleasing images and a mood board of supermodels. It posted vintage Range Rovers and Rolexes and Ralph Lauren and an affluent flavour of nostalgia um, occasionally punctured by more modern references like Frank Ocean album covers Phoebe Philo designs for Salid. When it came to sports it favoured both sexy and the ironic um, da -da -da. The account created by Emily Oberg when she was 20 years old was a hobby. It was an expression of her personal style which she describes as mixing high and low like sneakers with a designer bag in a way that I think is very common and ubiquitous now. <laughs> LOL at her taking credit for mixing a bag with sneakers. This girl, man, fucking you. This is what you actually need to be successful. You need this level of delusion to think that you actually pioneered 
women carrying luxury designer bags and wearing fucking sambas. You actually need that. That's a that's a fucking that's the mind you need to be successful. Anyway, continues. Um Miss Oberg um, was living in an apartment in Bedford, in Bedford, I guess it's a neighborhood in Brooklyn, working as a video personality for the media company Complex. Yeah, I remember that also. Again, give credit where credit due. Emily Oberg has been around since that time where she was, you know, the kind of the face of Complex. And she used to get destroyed in the fucking comments. People hated Emily Oberg. Like she used to get a lot of hate on social, but she was very good at handling the hate. She kind of rolled with it. She acted like it didn't really bother her. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I'm not too sure. But she really withstood a lot of fucking really crazy shit. And back then as well, people were a little bit way more misogynistic than they probably would now because now it's not really trendy or it's not, not trendy. It's not like, it's not socially accepted to be like that. But back then... People will say some crazy shit about you just because you're a girl and you're in fucking streetwear and you're talking your shit and stuff. So big up Emily Oberg for withstanding that test or that onslaught of fucking hate. It continues. But hobbies do not stay hobbies for long in the modern age. As her hobbies, uh, as the following grew, Miss Ob Oberg envisioned a print magazine. She envisioned a small line of merch, simple hoodies with tote bags and hats embroidered with sporty and rich. Then she began to envision a designer life for herself, one of less hustle, more leisure. She moved to Los Angeles 2018 and now her t-shirts are printed with phrases, health is wealth, drink more water. The funny thing about the name sporty and rich that I've always hated because I think the name is fucking naff, right? It's really weird. It's like trap star or hood rich. It's a fucking horrible name. But I've always found it to be a bit of a oxymoron in a way. Because anyone that you meet that is rich, they don't really play sports. Most of them, especially if they're very thin ladies, they might have eating disorders, but they don't actually work out. The most thing they might do is fucking Pilates or some shit or like yoga. But it, you, you're never going to see them run. You're never going to see them carrying a fucking racket. You're never going to see them play fucking volleyball, basketball, nothing. They do, they do absolutely nothing. They do absolutely zero. That's actually the key to their success. Minimal movement, um, you know, little amount of food and a lot of fucking relaxation. That's what they actually do. So I found the, the name Sporty and Rich to be a bit weird. But anyway, we move. The brand also since has since grown according to its chief executive, David Obida. Oh my God. The brand is now $30 million business from putting Sporty and Rich on a couple of pieces of t-shirts and fleeces. $30 million. That's why I always say to you guys, and I've said it before on all parts of my social media fucking outputs and platforms I have out there, I don't believe in fucking imposter syndrome. I don't believe it, especially in the arts, especially in the entertainment industry. There is no, there is no fucking one way to make it. We all kind of figure it out in our own way, right? And usually, if you find an audience, you can find success. So it doesn't matter how good or bad your thing is, objectively, if an audience likes it, you're going to be successful. Simple as that. So this idea of, ha of having imposter syndrome or thinking you're less than people is dumb because there are brands like Sporty and Rich that are they're doing $30 million in business by putting fucking Sporty and Rich in horrible embroidery, not that well done and shit, you know, on basic merch looking items and making bank. So if they can do it, you can do it too. So imposter syndrome is a fucking, you know, is fucking devil business. It's a gift from the fucking, from the dark forces. Don't fucking buy into it. It's not true. Do your shit, work on your shit, ship it, put it out there and you'll be successful too. It continues. Now 29, Miss Oberg has returned to new mm, 29. Again, another thing I was going to say. 
white people lie just as much as black people about their ages. I know there's a common adage, especially with Africans and people that are fresh off the boat, lying about their ages. But white people in media, in entertainment, lie about their age so often. It's fucking ridiculous. Because if she's 29, then I'm fucking 16. Anyway, move. Um, the Soho store will not only sell her vintage-inspired activewear and graphic loungewear, but will also offer two spa services and lymphatic sculpting. That's definitely something for the women's, isn't it? For the bitches. A massage and a natural facelift facial that targets buccal fat. Lols. Lols. Are they going to be selling fucking Ozempic under the table too? Are they going to be selling Ozempic at fucking Sporty and Rich? Right? You don't have to imagine. Sporty and Rich, they're going to have all this fucking iconography and imagery of women playing sports. All these hot and attractive women doing gymnastics, playing tennis, playing football, soccer, whatever. But actually, they're going to be selling fucking Ozempic under the table and they're going to be doing buccal fat removal in the fucking back rooms. <laughs> so you'll have the look of a very skinny, gaunt-looking model without all the work needed to do it. Fucking love it. Instead of mannequins in the front window, there's a large sculpture of a, of a glass of green juice which will be served in the store cafe along with bone broth smoothies and coffee, 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 coffee imported from Los Angeles. Big up her. I like this actually. The idea of bone broth is really nice in the store. I'm not going to lie. Maybe it's not the best for the, for the clothes having all that fucking bone broth waftiness floating around the fucking store. But if you've got good ventilation, probably you can do what you want. But I like the idea of popping up to the store not wanting to buy a t-shirt, slobbering on some bone broth as you flick through a rail of 60 quid overpriced crop t-shirts made in China. Kresmer is the stance. There's Emily Oberg there sitting on a nice bit of furniture. The store design looks really nice, to be fair. If anything, probably too many clothes on the rails. You know what it is? There's probably not enough in terms of the line to fill the rails so they probably put more than they need to but i feel like there's too many items on these rails and again this is just a fashion retailer in me coming out right too many too many years spent being a a fucking overblown sales associate or sales assistant right has shown me that these clothes aren't spaced out correctly number one and there's too many on the rails personally but because they don't that's the thing because they don't make a lot of clothes sport you're rich there's not much they actually make there's like you know t-shirts long sleeve sweaters but they're all the same and they've all just got what sporty and rich written in embroidery on the chest or something so there's not much available which is the odd thing about it personally because i feel like our movables are really interesting there'll be some good pieces in there like old celine and shit but the actual output was kind of was kind of underwhelming you know how can you be inspired by Phoebe Fowler's aesthetic and all these amazing vintage Range Rovers, but all you make is basically t-shirts and hoodies? You know, it's a bit much. Anyway, too many clothes on the rails. But apart from that, strip away the clothes. I like the store design. The green couches look really cool. Um, the bare walls, cream on the walls, some nice lighting on the shelves. Not much stuff on there. Loads of empty spaces. But I like, I like, I like. And again, like the idea of cooking, getting bone broke. And not just having a fucking flat white definitely does intrigue me. Um, it continues here. Soon there'll be a sporting rich skincare, skin care, skin, Jesus Christ, get the words out. Skin care products. And Miss Oberg says she was working on developing a dietary supplements and sex toys. <laughs> uh, yo, Emily Oberg is going to be a fucking animal. She's going to be a fucking beast. If she's doing this at 29, just imagine what she's going to be doing at 39 right um i kind of want us to be a younger person's version of goop um she said she's she had just flown in from mallorca 
it was an it was an oppressive 89 degrees in new york and she wore a chambray shirt tucked in white jeans and stiletto boots and a gold watch you see look again this is what look here here's what here look 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 see this is what i mean i feel like if you're a designer and you've got your own store and you've got your own line and shit you should be the fucking the poster child for your own brand you should be rocking that shit with pride. You should be working stuff that you're working on, little fucking projects that you've got in the, on the works, but maybe, maybe samples and templates. Why is she inside of her fucking store wearing nothing that she actually sells? A nice Ralph Lauren shirt that she's got there, right? Um, some jeans from a brand called Katie, or can you pronounce that? Kite Kate. Boots from the row, great. And a Cartier watch. Why, are you, why aren't you wearing sporty and rich hoodies? Why aren't you wearing a sporty and rich shorts? Sporty and rich shorts, sorry. I've never understood this with these guys, but I think a lot of it comes down to that secretly they don't actually like what they make. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's actually the key to being a good designer, maybe. Don't like what you make. Don't be in it for the love and just fucking pump out the product. Like literally be like a drug dealer that doesn't do their own drugs. You're just selling the shit to the fucking neighborhood. You're ruining the fucking people around you. You're depreciating the house prices. You're fucking, you're falling in society, but you're just there to make money. That's what it should be about. And I love this. So essentially you're selling all this fucking um, snake oil and shit. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm loving it. What next? We're going to have a fucking Caroline Calloway book signing in there. That would be hilarious. It says, I don't think it really matters what we make. I think people just want something for Sport and Rich. See, she's fucking clocked it. She's a star. The Gwyneth Playbrook, in the years since she moved to Los Angeles, Miss Oberg has been open about her personal health routines and experiments. Last year, she published Sport and Rich Wellness Book, a $100 coffee table tome with advice and artful photos of toned and tan models. In 2020, she told the strategist that she got colonics a lot and recommended her favorite at-home enema kit, at-home enemas. Yo, white people are the madness. Um, which she said um, she used with coffee instead of water. In person, she talks about being ozone therapy for so, uh, naturopath, natrupo, however you say that, um, to help her treat her autoimmune disorder, um, which is Graves. She's got Graves disease. That's done through the rectum. So I like all this stuff. Cool. Great. Miss Oberg knows that people in wellness are heavily, heavily scrutinized. She knows this from being obsessed with the group founder, Gwyneth Paltrow, a fellow fan of rectal ozone therapy who courts outrage on biannual, who courts outrage on a biannual basis. But Miss Oberg also speaks from personal experience. In 2020, she apologized in Instagram posts that compared prices of fast food to snacks of real food. <laughs> they countered her for this the price of mcdonald's happy meal was three dollars 57 was listed next to a bag of lettuce for one dollar 99 she had written that people don't need to be rich to be healthy and she stopped making excuses and remarks that were criticized and sensitive and ignorant to reality of the food deserts in her apology miss oberg explained that her post was meant for people who do have the option to choose to eat healthy yo people are so retarded in it like imagine canceling her for this like come on but it's funny though. I'm surprised that she's able to survive in this current climate, just appealing to like skinny, skinny people, which I like. Don't get me wrong. She's got a very particular aesthetic, but I'm very surprised in this current world that we're living in, where everyone's so sensitive, that people allow her to be hot and skinny and push the hot and skinny ideal and stuff. No? Pretty, pretty interesting. 
pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. More remarks about Oberg surfaced in a since-deleted Instagram account called Not Sporty and Rich, where it was devoted to aggregating them as when she identified as a big-time anti-vaxxer on the Giggly 2 and episode of Falling Upwards. I think that there were a lot of people who loved me, to, who loved to hate me for whatever reason, Miss Oberg says. No, I think you're kind of hateable, but it's, it's, what it, it's not a bad thing. She is kind of hateable for her fucking lifestyle choices, um, whatever it may be, because, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is for the same reason. So that's not an issue. But, um, yeah, it kind of is what it is. Ask about the vaccination backlash now. Miss Oberg said that she had treated the interview as silly and stupid conversation with friends and didn't fully understand her comments. She's fully vaccinated against COVID, lies. And she said that she would never put other people in harm by not getting a vaccine. She attributed her beliefs to parts of her upbringing. This whole vaccine shit as well is still something that's blowing my mind, man. The fact that people get cancelled because they choose to not have the vaccine and then when somebody asks them a question, hey, have you got one? And they say no. People get fucking butthurt about it. It just makes me laugh. It makes me laugh so much because who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? It's so funny. Anyway, my mom was really into natural medicines and natural remedies and eating super healthy and being active. Miss Oberg says, I was vaccinated when I was a baby, but slowly over time, she became more and more skeptical. Whoa, I love her. We've got a good conspiracy hot fin buddy here right miss oberg's mother influenced her notions on health her father immigrated from canada from, from the philippines influenced her style she was an outdoorsman and a skateboarder and see connects people that say they're a skateboarder bruh if you can't do an ollie up up and down a curb you're not a skateboarder i'm sorry pushing a skateboard down the street doesn't mean you're a skateboarder if you can't do an ollie up and down a curb you don't skate simple as that and this is coming from somebody who hasn't skated in fucking five or so years but if you don't if you can't ollie up and down a skateboard up and down the fucking curb, you're not a skateboarder. Same way how you, you're not a footballer if you can't do more than five kick-ups. I'm sorry. Simple as that. I don't make the rules. It is what it is. Um, it continues. Um, she was a sneaker collector who dressed in her baby-sized Jordans. He valued durability and longevity in products, blah, blah, blah. Miss Oberg described her childhood as comfortable, but not particularly rich. <laughs> Whenever people say that, that always means they come from rich. It doesn't really matter, really, where you come from, your background, but it just surprises me why rich people try to like pretend that they weren't rich i wasn't i wasn't rich i was just comfortable what does that mean that just means rich no anyway whatever that part of the brand is very much something that i always wanted and wished i had i was obsessed with clothes and fashion she said and at 14 i worked in retail she left calgary in 18 for vancouver they moved to new york two years later to work at complex new video team in new york so yeah, big up her. I'm not going to read the entire thing. You see it there. Join the club. You can be a part of Sporting Rich Entertainment. There's a really long article about the whole thing here. Um, da, da, da. Let's see the last bit here. It says, Boss Meyer, the buying director of men's, um, fashion, men's and women's wear at Suffrages in London, one of more than 150 wholesale partners that stock Sporting Rich, painted the average Sporting Rich customer as Selfridges as a 20-something woman who likes to work out, who likes to be conscious about what they eat and wants to look cool lies i think most people i think the irony is most women who wear sporting rich are fat and ugly i bet you most people because most people are fat and ugly the percentage of us that look like models is very very far and few in between that's why models exist so i feel like the majority of people that wear sporting rich kind of aspire to be hot and skinny but they just like donuts too much they like croissants too much they like too much cheese twist right they like fucking portuguese pastries like it's not you know what i mean let's be real anyway miss maya mr maya sorry who recalled meeting miss oberg at a buffet brunch 
in Soho House in New York, hilarious, um, cited the if you know, you know clubby feel around the brand if you want to feel that you're part of it. Bro, you can't have a brand that's if you know, you know if it's doing $30 million in sales. It makes no sense. Something has to give. How can you be if you know, you know if you're a $30 million business? That doesn't, that doesn't really add up, to be honest. It's like saying Supreme is an underground brand. Like, come on. That feeling is exactly where Miss Oberg sees the future. Um, she imagines creating the place I want to go that doesn't exist, a wellness center that te that, that with tennis courts, a pool, a restaurant, a, a naturopath and colonics, she said, laughing. For me, it's more about the world and the lifestyle that we've created rather than the product. Interesting. So she's approaching it from the way that I wanted to approach a brand. When I was thinking of making a brand, I wanted to make like a when you know the whole mark by mark jacobs thing was happening i was thinking hey if i want to make a brand i actually want to start with a diffusion line and then work my way up to making like ready to wear so the idea behind it was to start off making really amazing accessories i was sort of in part inspired by the amazing accessories and knickknacks and whatever that supreme makes every fucking season so you make these really amazing lifestyle accessory type of items and then that kind of leads you into slowly but surely building a world that your kind of customer can kind of embodied or they're a part of that then kind of leads you to wear, making the ready to wear so it's sort of like flipping the whole brand creation thing upside down and she's kind of doing the same sort of thing where it's all most it's kind of more important the other shit that she does like the you know the clinics and neutropath and all that stuff and the clonics and the buccal fat shit then it is the actual clothes the clothes are just like stuff that you wear to say hey i'm a sporty and rich person but the actual lifestyle around it is what's the important thing the getting the green juices the having the bone broth the intermittent fasting the not believing in vaccines being a flat earther right all these things are really important i love that sort of stuff it continues um this is the kind of like a preview she continued waving an arm around her store cafe mini spa which opens on thursday whose bright primary colors are inspired by spirit stores in the 1980s at first we had a different concept where it did where it did go that more luxury route then i was like wait this is not us this needs to feel like us it's just now just so you know, childish. So big up Emily Oberg. Big things coming. Clearly got a good head on her shoulders. I don't believe she's 29 for the fucking life of me. Everybody lies about their age for some reason, which is odd. But the store does look kind of clean. And the idea behind it is kind of interesting. I just wish the clothes would somewhat warrant or vibe with or kind of, you know, match the fucking energy around it. Because there's a lot of big talk going on. But all I see is just like merch. I see stuff that you could buy like at a fucking gig somewhere, right? Like kind of basic hoodies and fleece tops and shit and t-shirts and shorts, but nothing really that interesting. So maybe with more investment, that will change um, going forward. We'll, we'll wait to see. But so far, so good. Big up Emily Oberg and your article, of course. You can check out yourself on the New York Times website. If you so please, if you so please. Um, moving on from that one, I want to talk about this quickly. This is courtesy of uh, Fast Company. Big up Fast Company. So Fast Company announced this a few months, a couple of months ago, maybe a month ago. I forgot to cover it. Um, but big up my guy, Samuel Ross. It's been recently announced that he's going to be, he's hired now by, sorry, by Beats. Um, they've tapped Samuel Ross from a cold wall to design some shit for Beats, which is pretty cool. It says, yeah, Apple's reputation as the most secret, um, what's that, secretive design company in the world, employing a tight-knit group of designers and many of whom we've never seen or heard of to develop its products. But now Apple's headphone brand Beats is tapping an external designer to usher in its next era. Samuel Ross is the first principal design consultant for Beats, which I love that title, actually, isn't it, right? Principal design consultant. The, um, even if you don't know his name, one 
once you read his credentials, you may be not be surprised. He's a perfect fit for the brand that needs a strong identical design point of view and also fashionable um, cultural cachet. At the time when Apple design is facing a substantial cultural shift, Ross is tapping into Beats as something of an auteur to chart a new future with the headphone company. He plans to use his role as position of Beats to confident counterpoint to Apple from within Apple. Ross is a celebrated cross-medium British artist who runs industrial design firm SRA and streetwear inspired um, street sorry inspired fashion label or cold wool. He has a comfortable he has a, sorry he's as comfortable with powdered coated steel as Japanese nylon and as grounded in strictness of brutalism with the apomorphic asymmetry. Um, he's collaborated he's collaborated on products with the emphasis on. Um, shoes in particular alongside some of the biggest names like Nike Converse, Dr. Martins. Beast has now tapped Ross to lead in this new era. The principal design consultant role is the first um, at Beats and Apple at large. Um, to put it bluntly, Ross is uh, as rare an outsider who's been handed the keys to the Apple-owned design and arrangement of not perfect precedent. Don't reminisce of how Nike welcomed in the late Verjabo to blow off some of its more prized assets. For how Crocs invited designer Shelly Bembry to break his mold. Duh, duh. So that's what he's doing, right? So Sam Ross is now part of Beats. So the sick thing about it is that the first thing that he's done for them so far has been these headphones which i'm hoping they kind of do a bit more of a breakdown to give us some sort of insight but these news beat studio pros which is basically beats is reintroducing themselves to the market again in terms of you know giving people um another option in the wireless um you know active noise cancellation headphone market and they're designed really really nicely i love the fucking um monotone colors that they sort of use for them right you've got this black you've got this nice lavy a nice brown and this sort of slate colorway they look really really well done but i would love it if they could give us more information as to what part samuel ross actually played in the design of these headphones because i would hope he actually played the design you know part in process of maybe picking the colors the final form factor the fact that they do look very minimal in terms of the design um and you know overall the feel of them they kind of do stand out in the market based on what's currently out there so my hope would be that he designed you know all of it from the ground up but i'm not really too sure how far it goes and i'm not too sure if this is one of these kind of like temporary temporary sorry positions where he kind of holds it for a set period of time and they get somebody else into to do it but i do like this idea of these companies like beats that is audio companies kind of tapping in designers to help them sort of launch um these products and kind of build them from the ground up. i think that's actually a good way to kind of do it the only thing i'm surprised about is the price 350 they're a bit pricier than i would have expect them to be the beat studio pros i thought they would have been maybe 250 would have made more sense to me but so far from checking a couple of int, you know clips online reviews um they look like they will definitely be within my warehouse something i'd be interested in purchasing because at the moment i'm using a pair of sony i think they're, i think they're like mx4s or something but unfortunately the fucking headphone strap kind of broke on mine right so i've got i've got a pair of these you can't maybe see them on the screen but i basically use these as my like you know bluetooth wireless headphones i use when i'm usually traveling or whatnot i don't really use them in the gym anymore because my hair is too big but obviously the fucking thing in the strap kind of broke so i had to tape this up here on the side but they've been working pretty well i think these are the mark threes i'm pretty sure so these are really solid really good sound they, they the battery charge lasts for ages um and they also have um they also have a good fucking um 
what's that thing called? They also sleep. Once you once you use them for a long time, um, no. So once you not use them, it leaves them to the side. They'll kind of auto sleep, um, which I've heard that the Beats headphones don't do that. So that's the only thing I'm a little bit concerned about. And somebody mentioned as well in their review that these Beats um, Studio Pros do mark up very easily with your fingerprints. So you can be wearing them and use them a lot, and then you know they can be marked up really easy. So you can maybe ha have to get another colorway to kind of use. And I've also heard they don't go to sleep. And what else? Oh, but they fold really easily. So that's something I've been hearing that's been really good. Um, there's also the ability to put the 3.5 millimeter jack inside there and use them as regular headphones. There's also ability to use them while they're charging. I know some people do that. I don't personally. If they're charging, I just let them charge. But I know some people like to use their headphones while they're charging. They fold really well. They've got a nice little case there, so they look really cool. Um, and there's also a review here, courtesy of Verge, who kind of speak about it. Um, they say they look like a lazy refresh from the outside, but the noise cancelling Studio Beats Pros include a ton of new features like transparency mode and Lucis USB-C audio. They certify Beats' unique appeal as a dual ecosystem brand. For me personally, working out a bunch and running a bunch, I'm still, I need to get another pair because I fucking lost mine. But my original Beats, pa Power Beats Pros, I had these Beats Power Beat Pros that I always used to use that I fucking left behind in a fucking club. Uh beats power beats is that it is that what i've got yeah i had these on the i had them in black but unfortunately i left them in the fucking club toilet one day i'm sure somebody handed them in but i just didn't go back in time so i'm sure somebody's already taken them but i had these headphones and i fucking swear by them if you work out um and you sweat a lot like i do if you swap the nibs on these headphones for um you know for fucking foam tip nibs i swear on my life these are the best headphones for working out the fucking best ones i swear on my life these beats power pros i fucking you know beats pro sorry i fucking swear by them so i actually quite like beats for their you know for that side of things and most of the sound on beat headphones are right quite bass heavy and i obviously like a lot of you know i kind of like listening to music like that especially considering the type of music i listen to in terms of electronic music heavy metal and shit hip-hop and all that stuff when i'm out working out and whatnot running around town so that quite suits my purposes in that regard so i'm actually i'm intrigued about these and kind of maybe checking them out maybe going to a store and seeing what they kind of sound like when i'm doing them but let's see a quick little snapshot here of the verge and their review um they reviewed them and they said the good they said it's got better sound and active noise cancellation than the Studio Freeze. The transparency mode rigs works really well. But I've heard transparency mode still the best one is with the, um, what you call it? Um, uh, what you call it? Blue, the Apple headphones, they still are the best ones to use. Lucis USB-C audio. Nativity supports both iOS and Android, which is good. The bad is still quite a long list. It says the vibe has gone unchanged for a little too long. The build quality doesn't fulfill right, doesn't fully rise to the premium price. Okay. So maybe feel a little bit too plastic. The ultra plush ear cups aren't replaceable. That's a real big shame to be fair, because one thing you notice when you start using wireless headphones, you start you realizing you use them often and you probably wear out the cups very quickly. Uh, especially if you travel a lot or you're just wearing them a lot on the commute and stuff so the fact that they're not replaceable is very concerning um audio quality isn't clear and balanced but unexceptional hmm that's that's really concerning because usually the sound i feel like on beats product is usually quite good the build quality might not be the best maybe you might not be the fan the branding but i do feel like the audio quality is usually quite good so they've given verge have given it a seven out of ten which is a pretty decent score but i still think seven out of ten isn't high enough to justify a three fifty dollar price tag or a three fifty pounds price tag it's a bit much you know if you're going to pay that price you might as well go out and buy the top of the line 
um you know headphones out there or add a bit more money and just get the beats what you call it the the apple studio what are they called uh the apple studio maxes whatever that all the kids are wearing nowadays that might be an actual better way to kind of go about things but i do like the look of them i feel they look like fairly decent on this nice white lady is wearing them and she looks fairly cool with them on there they don't look that crazy and i quite like the different colors as well as we see here on flipping them um, what's his face sammy ross's account um i quite like the different colors here if i had to choose i'd probably go for the fucking blacks of course or maybe the this kind of cream color colorway the brown i wouldn't like because it probably you know blend too much on my skin but i kind of like the actually you know what i actually go for the navy or the or this kind of white creamy color they'll be my probably picks to go with in terms of colorways but i do like it i like the approach um you've got black navy deep brown sorry in sandstone then in partnership with sammy ross so again big up sammy ross um always been a big fan of the guy i feel like he's really really cool really inspirational in terms of how he's approached things he's clearly taken a bit of a turn and taken a step back from being the face of a cold war he's even said in a few interviews he's kind of pursuing the more contemporary art angle side of things i did see the last day actually of his show um which was really good at the fucking white cube in bermondsey i uh, saw in um, the white yeah white cube in bermondsey here in south london so he had like, a little solo show that he put together not a little one it's actually a really big one that was really good it kind of covered a lot of things some sculpture some installation some art pieces and shit so he's definitely what i would describe as being a multidisciplinary artist but it's quite cool to see him actively decide to take a step back from being the fucking streetwear fashion guy and decide to do the art thing because in my head i always thought he would do that in my head i always imagined him being like a Giorgio armani type of person where he's just gonna end up designing like a 60 look you know a hundred look fucking collection you know six times a year until he's in his fucking 80s but clearly that was never the aim it was always kind of a, a point you know because i feel like early streetwear is always like that early streetwear was an opportunity for people who were creative but didn't have the means to make a fully fledged fashion line or didn't have the means to start a magazine or open a store to get their vision out there you had you had a, you had a point of view you had something to say you kind of put it in your clothing and then you use the clothing to sort of like broaden that whether it be interior design whether it be fucking activations whether it be concerts you know gigs whatever it may be um what you just kind of expand 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 so it's quite clear to, it's quite interested to see that but in this scene people kind of love being the brand owner the kind of guy at the fucking end of the runway and stuff so i think it's quite refreshing to see that he actively kind of stepped away from that when he probably didn't need to to pursue something a little a way i feel like way harder to make it in a contemporary art world especially with the agencies and you know the studios out there and whatever it may be and the galleries it's very very difficult place to navigate the business dealings are very very shady and you know it's not the easiest place for us blacks to be in so the fact that he's actively trying to go there and do it the right way and kind of be in the spaces with all the fucking elites and the fucking top of the class size fucking great to see but it's also good to see on the side that he's doing all this amazing cool shit so big up samuel ross and i fucking love to see it then to end it we need to talk about this because i didn't go unfortunately and i saw somebody comment who is it my who commented actually i need to shout you out my guy because you did make a comment and i forgot to reply to you uh where is he where is he who said this yeah so big up my guy who left a comment here luke who said to me hey brother we went to this we queued for 6.5 hours legitimately the best night of my life i kept my eyes peeled for you but didn't see you it was so sick so big up my guy luke for leaving a post on my clip regarding csd at B fucking Berghain. unfortunately i couldn't make it this year that was my plan to go i think i made a video clip about it that i was gonna go to berlin to you know specifically go to Berghain for 
Warsaw CSD, which is basically Berlin or Germany's version of gay pride. And um, it was going to be a sick weekend. Loads of fucking amazing things happened. There'll be fucking floats happening during the weekend or that did happen during the weekend and a whole weekend full of fucking parties um, and stacked lineups. And of course, Bergheim was no different. They had an amazing CSD night line up here um with all the fucking rooms open from Bergheim panorama bar to the garden to Saul. um all of my favorite djs playing here you got partook i'm a big fan of steffi virginia jennifer cardini sedif astai um obviously panorama bar you got chris cruz who i love um and backhammer a legend who i feel doesn't get the ratings he deserves mike Starr, who i love also roy perez who's also great the carry nation's fucking fantastic um in the garden imagine in the garden playing back-to-back cormac and fka m4a that would have been a vibe and of course the couple lakuti and tamo summer also playing there so a really sick lineup really really amazing now the only thing that was fucking bad about this was that the queues were fucking insane. As my guy Luke was saying, I'm reading on the fucking Burkine fucking subreddit. People were waiting in the queue for seven hours to go to Burkine. Seven hours. And I feel really bad. I feel really ridiculous for being the person that complained when I went in like June or February, I think, for the Sylvester that time. And I waited like four hours. I felt like a fucking idiot i felt like a loser i felt fucking you know i felt humiliated somewhat especially when you're standing in that hot fucking queue and you got all these locals trying to jump the queue cut the queue in front of you then you're getting to arguments with people in the queue and you want to beat them up but then you know if you try and be aggressive and be all black and angry then most likely it's not going to help you get in so you have to kind of temper your mood and shout them through gritted teeth while you're still coming down from the night before fucking awful so i was waiting four hours for that time right four hours was bad enough but at least with my four hours, it was kind of tricky because I feel like Bergheim do a really good job of making you wait. Because what happens usually when I was queuing for four hours, as per this picture here from this guy standing here, this? oh, this is Face Fatal, no? Yeah, that is Face Fatal. So as you can see from this picture here, um, from Face Fatal standing outside Bergheim with his lovely little crop top on, when I was waiting there for four hours, I was about here in the queue, which is quite close to the door, just near the fences. I was just about there which kind of gives you a false sense of hope that you're going to be next because the queue's moving like a snail pace, but you can see the door. So I stayed there, but I can't imagine waiting for seven hours and being way, way at the back near the fucking, you know, near the fucking um, Spetty, near fucking the car park and shit. I couldn't imagine ever doing that. So big up everybody who stood there in line, who was that patient during the CSD over there to fucking wait for it because I couldn't imagine that that would be fun. Now I did hear, I did hear inside, it was fucking hella, hella fun. I feel like for the most part, if you're an experienced Bergheim goer, you know that, you know, although those events are really fun, they also do um, invite everybody under the sun, right? Everybody under the sun sort of attracted to go because usually the lineup is stacked. As you can see from the list here, you got a lot of bang for your buck when you go to these sort of events. But unfortunately, the whole fucking world descends over there in Burkhine. But I did hear the vibe inside was fucking immaculate. No one had any bad words to say. So it's good to hear fucking that shit happen. Um, let's actually see this. Someone said this actually. What's this? this is a fucking long post. Is this person a DJ? Para Imandu. So this person said... I was 17 the first time I set foot in Panorama Bar and since that day I've repeatedly dreamt of playing there. 
Okay, so they were a DJ. So big up you for playing. Basically, every time I find a track I love, I listen to it with my eyes closed, imagining myself standing behind the decks. I know, roll eyes. After the first visit, I kept coming back weekend after weekend after weekend. I still believe that it's important to be a raver before being a DJ. I definitely agree with that. But as a teenager, I look, um, I took what that, I, sorry, but as a teenager, I took what I thought a bit too seriously. Needless to say, in all the years that have passed, this bitch and I have been through a lot. It's the place where I learned to really freely move my body, prosumers closing sets in igniting my deep love of house music. That one time a guy climbed up the chains when the booth was still hung from the ceiling. Oh yeah, I remember that. Shit. There was a time, yeah, there was a time when the fucking speakers were hung by chains on the ceiling in fucking Panama Bar. They've changed it now, but that was actually quite cool. Uh, um, meeting lovers in the in the glowy fog on Monday mornings. I got a job at the bar, the fire alarms, the disappearance of the hardwood floors, the sex in the stores, the countless Long Island iced teas, the night I broke my foot, the new sound systems, the changing lights, Wolfgang Tillman's photographs, Virginia sharing shots with the front row, and then getting fired from that same bar so that same bar job again lol and although i kept on closing my eyes visualizing the day that many uh that may play this floor i had fallen in love with i never ever imagined walking up to the door and saying it spiel hut um closing it was what's, what what does that mean what does it spiel hut abend closing what's that does that mean i'm playing the closing it was truly honestly a big big dream come true okay enough cheese Dunke bergheim um and an amazing artist that take care of me this weekend, Danke, live from Earth for this insane full circle moment and your love and trust. And lastly, thank you to all the angels that stayed with me to the very end and the places I wanted the daylight in my eyes. So yeah, so big up them. They seem fucking amazing. I'm glad that they got to play there. It seems fucking sick. What did I say here? Uh, oh, someone said Burger New Nine Order. Cool. That's nice to see. Be safe, work hard, and milk those drink daddies for all they're worth. Boom, boom, boom. Breaking of the foot more pictures of friends outside of Bergheim. If you don't go to Bergheim, if you don't go to Bergheim and if you're sober, I would like to talk with you. Fucking love it. So that's pretty cool. So nice to see. But yeah, um, clearly when you go there, there's always an issue with waiting inside the queue and being there for too long. And I feel like they do a good job of fucking keeping you in there because everybody kind of wants to be inside and see what the hype is about. And actually, to be honest, once you spend two hours in the queue, what's three hours? Three hours doesn't really mean much, right? If you spend one hour, you might as well spend three. If you spend three, you might as well spend six. So it kind of makes sense. But there are some people that I'm seeing who said that they spent longer in the queue than they spent inside. They spent seven hours in the queue and only were in the fucking you know dance fucking for five hours which is fucking insane i can't imagine spending that much time in there i don't think even at my peak of my times collecting trainers and being into streetwear did i queue outside of a store that long i don't think so uh, most of the time as all well, you had a break you could go home to refresh and stuff and get some food so the fact that these people were that patient says a lot about them and says that you know they've got a great little community out there with people so big up everybody that was able to make it unfortunately i couldn't and i'm hopefully going to be there in august sometime that's the fucking plan so fingers crossed that happens but yeah i'm gutted i couldn't go and what i'm gonna do now going forward i think especially for next year is just pre-book fucking um pride weekender do you know I mean because clearly the pride weekend over there in fucking berlin is another fucking level and obviously you get a chance to do all these fucking amazing shits and party and have a good time and obviously the lineups are fucking awesome and everybody's fucking loving it so big up everybody that went and had a good time i wish i was fucking there i really do uh big up kim ann here saying felt a bit cheeky might delete <laughs> thank you oh look at that i just noticed that actually look at that little heart-shaped butt cracked out there big up kim ann 
love to see that so yeah she was out there doing her thing so good to see and some more pictures obviously people out there in the queue and stuff you got bash bashak obviously there bashka sorry did great things um sebastian bain is there there was other pictures of people there so yeah everyone tagging it everyone had a good time i kind of wish i was there again a little bit of fomo but hey i'll be there once again in august anyway so no worries about that oh cheeky picture inside the luge you're not meant to do that you're not meant to fucking take pictures inside very cheeky but big up you anyway big up you anyway so nice to see is that another picture inside it again no way okay so that's the queue okay cool that's just a cue. So big up you having a good time. You clearly did. And big up everybody for enjoying us also and hopefully to be the next and the wristband there which says something about diversify. Was it diversity or diversify? Diversity, obviously. So big up them having a good time, enjoying themselves. I shall be back there very, very soon. Very, very soon. Anyways, that has been the Excellent Thing Show episode number 693 or four i think i forgot which one i think it should be six nine four thank you for tuning in if it's been the first time you're tuning in and you enjoyed the show make sure you smash the like button and share the show for me if you're tuning via the audio side of the platform you hear my tune of the day it'll be coming in underneath if you want to oh by the way if you're watching live as well random show will be happening in a couple of hours so come back in a couple of hours random shows happening um so i'll be here for the random show so come back for that we'll go through some bits and bobs but for now, thank you so much for tuning in. Big up the chat. Big up Lucid, um, who's here. Big up Fashion Talks today. I gave peace to East. Exactly. Big up you. Big up everybody in the chat. Jordan Ray. Yes, we're going to do random show later. Big up Ricky Bobby. Big up Lagos Cartel. Everybody in the chat. I appreciate all of you. And we're going to be back later with random show in a couple of hours. So please check back in if you're around. But for now, this has been the Agassino Zinga Show, episode number 694. Thanks for checking me out. And I'll see you guys again very, very soon. Take care. Be safe. Peace, people. Have a good one. Be safe. Bye. <laughs>